All right. Well, hello there. Welcome to the Deadly Analysis Podcast. Uh, tonight is going to be climactic. Fucking climactic. Uh, each of our co-hosts has developed their own EDM dance routine that they're going to perform for us tonight. Specifically looking forward to Jonah's and Jim's because quite frankly, I've never seen anyone bend that way. So look forward to that. A fantastic show tonight. Uh, I'd be remiss if each of us didn't have uh, our LSD mixed drink on hand with us tonight. Here is mine. Actually, this is water for the YouTube gods out there. Please don't ban us. Our channel is relatively new. This was a joke. Uh, so tonight we are going to be reviewing and analyzing the recent Gaspar Noe dance horror nightmare slash film climax. Uh, or as I recall, uh, the Lord of the Flies, you know, twerk session, basically. That's the best way I know how to describe this movie. Um, so if you're new to this uh, this podcast, if you're new to this film, uh, what we do is we review good horror films. Uh, and tonight we are going to talk about uh, a, a recent French horror film called Climax. So Climax is basically about members of a dance group that engage in one of their last rehearsals at an empty school one evening. Pretty simple story. Uh, and unbeknownst to them, someone has spiked their sangria with high octane LSD, which causes their jubilant rehearsal to descend into dark and explosive nightmares as they essentially try to survive the night. Um, so again, what we do here on this podcast is, is we each take a look at what one of us considers to be a high quality or deeply frightening horror film, something that scares us. And then we all try to figure out like what that fear is all about, what's doing the work in that film. We discuss film style, acting, cinematography, all that good stuff. But really at the end of the day, this is a podcast about fear, our different types of fears, our collective fears as a society. And this movie is quite unique in that regard. I actually consider Climax to be like a very specific kind of social horror. You know, as this movie ramps up and as the LSD starts to take hold on all of the different characters, there's this steady decline in appropriate behavior and social norms, which ultimately culminates into ravenous and tribal and psychotic behavior. Um, the only thing we're missing on the dance floor is like this little like fox in the corner that has like a bubble over his head that says chaos reigns, right? Like that's the only thing we're missing in this film. Um, I absolutely love this movie. I, I don't know about the rest of you. Like this movie blew me out of the fucking water. I was mesmerized by everything in it. Everything from the very queer style of dance, the subtlety and the sort of downhill dialogue between all of the characters the fears and deeply repressed urges that start to come out from each of the characters. Like this movie is just one giant snort of a cinematic sensory experience. And you never get to actually see any of the characters hallucinations. It has to be built for you, like by camera work and by sound and by lighting and by acting. Like this is the sort of movie that's begging for an eccentric director, which it has been Gaspar Noé. Like it's a very experimental film in the sense that a great deal of the movie is um, freeform, right? It's similar to some of the mumblecore aspects that we talked about in our Creep uh, podcast. Uh, so Gaspar Noe has been quoted as saying, and I, I want to kind of get, I want to start with this, uh, quote, I knew the start and the end point of, of the film, but I didn't know the in-between. So for example, I initially thought Sofia Butella's character Selma would end up with a boy. Then I thought maybe it could be a girl. 
And then when I met the Russian girl dancer and I asked Sophia if she minds ending up with her, she didn't. And so the whole thing was quite organic. Then I didn't know how the story of the DJ would end. Oh, maybe he ends up with the young dancer. But then everything was shot in chronological chronological order, which kept the door open for any kind of rewriting. So this is a very just sort of experimental out there sort of film. It's insanely hard to do um, from a cinematic perspective. And I think it was a, an experiment that, uh, at least in my opinion, paid off. This is one of those movies where, you know, the entirety of the film takes place in one setting. And we've commented previously on how that can create a sense of palpable claustrophobia. You can see our previous podcast on Pontypool as a, as a good example of that. So you have an isolated setting, you have a drug-induced mass hallucination, and actors that sort of get to play with their setting in almost any way that they see fit. So the irony is, I think, like from the filmmaker's perspective, this movie is a kind of organized chaos. Like there are these long shots, uh, some of them up up until 20 minutes in length, where the camera will follow one person to ultimately to catch up with another person in the process and start and, and start to follow them around and see what's going on with them. So very strange, very different. I, I appreciated how unique the setup was and how everything was still somewhat cohesive by the end of it. I mean, maybe we could debate this, but there were these, um, like there there's, something like a narrative, even at the end, once everything was broken down, how you get to see like sort of the after effects of the LSD taking place. And I think, you know, maybe we could contrast this, I'm, I'm sort of jumping the gun, but maybe we could contrast this with a film like Darren Aronofsky's Mother, where, um, where, where the film is somewhat like climax, highly metaphorical, everything is breaking down progressively, not making sense progressively, everything goes to chaos progressively. And in that film, in Mother, there was very little referent, like a very little cohesive narrative by the end of it. But that didn't seem to be the case to me in Climax. In Climax, the LSD wears off. We get to see the carnage at the end of all things. We get a final sense of perspective that ties everything together. And we also get closure on who the culprit was who spiked the sangria with LSD that sort of you know, fucked up everybody, sort of made the movie, as it were. Uh, so there's, in Climax, there's kind of this perfect mix in my mind of like the orgiastic, chaotic, ravenous, up is down, down is up, dark, twisted sense of hallucination mixed with a sobering perspective that ties everything together. It makes the allegorical function of the film a little more clear. Uh, so I, I suspect that with a movie like this, we're gonna have somewhat mixed perspectives. I doubt everyone enjoyed this movie as much as I did. Uh, so I think it'll be fun to jump into the differences between all of us. So I'm here tonight with Ben, with Jim, with Jonah, and with Shayra. Um, we'll just jump into it. I mean, I I thoroughly love this film. It scared the shit out of me. Uh, I thought about this movie days and days and days after it was over. I've seen it three times. Um, absolutely enamored with almost every aspect of it. I, I That might be unique to me. I don't know. Uh, so just sort of general impressions from everybody. I'll start with Jonah. Uh, I, I'm very surprised that that Jonah, this movie had an impact on you. It doesn't seem to be knowing your repertoire of films that this would be, to me, the sort of film that would um, really scare you. So I, I'm, I wanna start with you kind of curious what you thought about the film overall and if it scared you. 
Okay. Hi. Uh, and yes, it, it, it's very rare that a movie affects me this deeply. There, there are notable examples. If you watch this podcast enough, um, compliance, the hunt, the end of, uh, gone, baby gone. This movie affected me in a way that I didn't expect to. I was very hesitant to see the film because I'm very averse to seeing films that are physical in terms of like being, you know, like lovey-dovey amorous. And I hate dance movies. Um, in fact, I just, one of the points I wanted to bring up was that every time I see a movie from like the nineties or the, the aughts that takes place in a nightclub, like John Wick, Collateral, even Bad Boys. It always seems like the ninth circle of hell. It's just a flashbang of lights and sounds. And it's, you know, there's always, it's so loud that you can't hear a gunfire. And it felt like Ga Gaspar Noe said, yeah, let's do a movie in that setting. Like, what if we filmed a whole movie in a setting that was just a sensory overload, um, which, which I found I wouldn't like, but it... Uh, allowed you to explore the human dynamic of what goes on beyond that sensory experience. Uh, which brings me to my second point, which is that the fact that the movie was improvised for me makes it much more terrifying and naturalistic because the people, it's like kind of like a, a Christopher Guest movie. If he made a horror film, he was like, do whatever you want to do. The door is open, be who you want to be. And these people chose by their own free will to be, nasty villains. So uh, we can, we'll get into that later in the podcast, but there's a, what triggered me so much about the movie is that the experiences that certain characters had, not all of them, but very specific ones have happened to me in actuality. And it brought up memories. And I've been in experiences where I felt the terror that the victims were experiencing. So uh, that's the overall gist of the movie. It's 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 a social horror, and it, it, it's the, what what bothers me so much is just that it's the LSD and the sangria allows people to operate on the most default level, their most basic level, where their their subconscious is taken over, and they get to be the monsters that they actually are with impunity. And uh, so that's the, sh the long and short of, right, actually not the long, that's the short uh, perspective I have on that. And I hope that uh, summarized it uh, sufficiently. What about the rest of you? What did you guys think? Just kind of initial thoughts about the movie. I'm gonna go into this. Uh, as a person who uh, has done drugs, um, and as a person who lived this exact life almost every weekend, over and over and over again, uh, um, the first time I accidentally took LSD, I was 16 years old and I was a dancer. So imagine you're watching this and you're like, ha ha, I remember that. That's what this film was. Um, it, of course, I think this ended up in a PSA kind of a thing of LSD is so scary. No, it's not. I've had a bad trip from LSD. You don't go into fucking seizures like that. You're not going to start stabbing each other. The idea that you're going to start yelling and screaming at each other to kill each other. No, 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 no. That is so not LSD. Uh, 
if he has done LSD, what the fuck was he writing this for? Like he know he should know better. The um the funny thing is I'm watching this film and I'm like, yes, I've seen people behave this way, but I saw them behave this way on a fun little drug that is very legal called alcohol. <laughs> um, I've been around people who've like been partying really hard, drinking Jägermeister, and they start hitting each other with pool cues and beating each other up and acting really crazy. I've seen that on alcohol, not LSD. Um, and the overly sexual nature that everybody was kind of jumping into, I think would have been better placed as not necessarily E because they were using liquid. Um, so I think GHB would have been a better, uh, a better drug to put forth this kind of a storyline, especially since GHB can lead to seizures um, and other issues. So from an actual druggie standpoint, this was uh, the wrong drug. But, but, um, the bad trips, the uh, the behavior when you're having a bad trip, the fact that they didn't show what they were hallucinating, which I hate it when movies do that. I don't need to see from the druggies perspective. Like, I think it's more fun to see what you look like when you're doing the drugs. And that does add something very beautiful and realistic to it, right? I've been in parties where people have been tripping balls and I was like, whoa, <laughs> you look nuts. <laughs> like, it's kind of funny. Um, but the fact that I lived a huge chunk of my life in these exact uh, arenas, it did not seem scary to me. It, it seemed like I was home. Uh, it took me back to my 90s. Uh, and um, I, I know that that probably is pretty horrifying to some of you, but it, it, it wasn't scary. It was home. Um, so <laughs> um, so that that's my take on it. Um, I, I hate to kind of shit on the horrifying aspects, but it it did not feel scary to me. So before we go on, what about the combination of sangria and acid? Because it did look up. Because you know what what about you know, alcohol and acid and what that combination can do to people? Um, so once again, I've done that combo uh, along with marijuana. Um, once again, I accidentally took acid. Both times I've taken acid were both accidental. You may say, "How the fuck do you do that?" I'll tell you. Um, I was hanging out at a party, pastor's daughter. Uh, so of course, you know, gonna definitely take some substances, but I was drinking and smoking pot. But um, somebody brought Cap'n Crunch. I thought it was Cap'n Crunch. And I was like, I haven't had Cap'n Crunch in a long time. And I take one of them and I pop them in my mouth and everyone goes, you're gonna have an experience. <laughs> and so that's when I accidentally took acid for the first time. Um, so, but I'll also share where you got to remember that people react quite differently to LSD, to sub, even to marijuana, right? Like, um, I know, I know at least one person who simply like, who simply smoked up from a vape, actually, probably had too much of a vape for marijuana and was sufficiently fucked up for like a month, like couldn't get their thoughts right for a month. Right. So I, I don't know how, I don't know how much like the hot, so this movie is described as having high octane LSD. I, I, I don't know what the fuck that means. I don't know if there's. Look, LSD you cannot overdose on. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's not like the other drugs. If it would have been GHB, I could get it because that actually is something you can overdose on. That is something that leads to seizures. 
probably the worst that can happen if you like take a shit ton of LSD. Mm -hmm. You're gonna possibly have heart palpitations. Um, you might get like super like freaked out by things, which obviously was what uh, was depicted. But the 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 seizure thing. That's a little bit of a stretch. And the violent, uh, everybody like, ah, fucking stab yourself, kill yourself. I'm like, nah, that's, that's, okay. that's alcohol. Okay, Th that's the thing though, that um, it doesn't really matter to me. Like I've joked and I'm, I can't believe this is coming up this early, but because this movie affected me so badly to cope with it, I've joked that what if the Sangaroos like with hot sauce or laxatives or something. And that's the thing you're looking at it from the end user perspective of that's not how drugs work. That's not how alcohol works. I'm looking at it from, I don't care if they were getting high on um, almond milk, you know, it does. It's with the behavior that they were exhibiting towards each other is what terrified me. The drug use was irrelevant and ancillary to the whole experience. I mean, it was just maybe take the drugs and alcohol out and they're just be like, do this sober to each other. And it would have been the same movie. Have That's you ever I seen? I would have actually preferred that. Look, I, all I'm saying is, have you ever seen a vegan on almond milk? It's quite the same. It's quite the same. Right? It's horrifying. Horrifying. Uh, yeah. As a uh, vegetarian, pescatarian rather, who just drank almond milk, I think I can speak to this. No. Um, I, it was a vegan party where they thought they were drinking almond milk, but it was actual cow milk, and that's why they reacted that way. Yeah, that's that's terrifying. <laughs> that would be even worse. Um, so yeah, I I actually I sort of agree with I I can agree with both Shayra and Jonah in this in this sense that uh, I, I sure we've got the science about uh, how LSD works and how um, LSD uh, affects people and uh, you know sort of both scientific and anecdotal evidence that that points to uh, those particular behaviors. Um, and if we're viewing this film strictly as a PSA, then those are certainly relevant facts. Um, and anybody who wants to, uh, is considering dabbling in LSD or the like, and watches this movie and say, well, maybe I should reconsider it. Um, you know, Michael Pollan's got a book about uh, hallucinogenics that's uh, the, that's about a year old, which, which I would recommend. Um, but I think that Jonah hits on a, a really important point as we're um, analyzing this film and trying to interpret it. And that is that I think the drugs were sort of a means to a narrative end. And that narrative end has to do with something specific and metaphorical that Gaspar Noe wants to say about, um, about human nature and how we behave and and how we act. And once you strip the uh, rhetorical and societal niceties away from us, what are we? We are horny, violent assholes who need each other in the uh, uterus when we find out that someone else has a baby. Um, those kind, that kind of behavior. Uh, I think is what Noe is trying to get at. And uh, Noah, you you tried to, you compared this film to Mother, which I think is definitely an allegorical or um, metaphorical film. Um, I don't see as much metaphor here, uh, but I do see 
uh, Louis Bunuel's The Exterminating Angel, which is a, a film about a group of people who go to a dinner party, they have a nice dinner party, and then they discover that they cannot leave. And so when forced into proximity with each other, the rhetorical and social niceties are stripped away and you see what they are. They are essentially monsters to each other. And that's the, that's the same thing that's going on here. Um, that said, I, I th so I think that that's that that's where I think we can sort of discuss. That's what I got out of what Noe was saying here. Uh, ben, you haven't said anything yet, and I think this was your film. What do you uh, what do you have to say about uh, about Noe's? Uh, why did you choose this? What do you think? What's what's your point of view on this? Now, Ben is clearly on high-octane LSD before we start. So with that yeah. said, just take that with a grain of salt. Go ahead, Ben. <laughs> Actually, this entire time, yeah, I've been, I've been staring in front of me. He doesn't uh, mute unmute his microphone. <laughs> I I actually I didn't even see a microphone in front of me. It was my my uh, my cat, and in front of me I'm hallucinating the entire city of New York City, as it were. Um, it's kind of a strange experience. I um so I, I don't necessarily know if I can really call this my film or not. I really feel like this one was quite unique in its selection. I did watch it maybe first but it was it was sort of like one of those things like i i came to the group and i was like you know what the fuck did i just see and then everyone else kind of got like interested in this and we all sort of watched it and had kind of like a similar surface reaction but for different reasons i think and so like it was sort of collectively chosen and i think that's awesome um it's very very unique in its sort of selection sure. in that way sorry about but, that yeah. no no you're good you're good I mean, i'll take as much credit as i can take i suppose but um it, uh, you know, I mean, this one, I, I really feel like I kind of have to agree with you, Jim, and maybe you, Jonah, as well, and, and a lot of aspects of this. Um, I really do think that because of the the buildup in here, and like, I, I really can't pretend to know what the intentions were of the director in this. I haven't looked it up much. I, I haven't really seen any interviews he's done explaining why he did things certain ways. Um, but... In, in my interpretation, I really do feel like the the drugs were just kind of an excuse um, or kind of like a gateway that allowed people to sort of walk through a point where they did sort of lose their inhibitions. You have a huge amount of buildup in this movie where you see people developing their characters. You get a really strong sense of who they are, how they feel about certain things, how they interact with one another, um, you know, even why they're interested in being part of this dance crew in the first place. But after after a while you really do sort of get the sense that there is this hostility sort of seething under the surface anyway and so like there's a lot of passion running high and maybe this is just something common among dancers and the and theater types but there is quite a bit of drama already like even before even before any of the drugs kick in like you definitely see these like very high tension dynamics between each of the characters and so whenever the lsd does sort of kick in um you know obviously we have the one character who spiked the sangria and she seemed to be not fine throughout the entire course, but she came at the other side relatively unscathed, I would say. Um, and I mean, uh, if with anyone who has any personal experience, which I don't, you know, this probably does come off as being a quite strange reaction. Um, but yeah, like, again, like, I just feel like it was one of those things where people were kind of taken by surprise and maybe they had an expected reaction. Maybe none of them had ever taken it before. And so what you see is really more of an example of group hysteria than a collective hallucination where, you know, we, we literally have them seeing themselves descend into the pits of hell or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, even going a little bit farther though, I, I do find it difficult to even find 
a metaphorical meaning to this. Um, to me, and much like most of his other works that I've seen, it was kind of like watching a painting and appreciating the aesthetics and perhaps being disoriented by those aesthetics and having a deep internal experience and, and reaction to them, but perhaps not to any particular end. Um, you know, it was kind of the same way with Enter the Void. Um, it was sort of the same way with Irreversible. But the thing that I was most impressed with was his ability to utterly disorient the audience and leave you confused and searching for something that he simply wasn't giving you, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, he has. he's on record as saying this movie was not meant to be anything like overtly allegorical. Um, that he was asked look, quite explicitly, I don't have the uh, uh, transcript in front of me, but someone had asked him like if this was meant to be allegorical, and he said no. Uh, so, for example, you know, I, some of the obvious aspects, like the first person who gets kicked out of the group is a Muslim who doesn't uh, drink. Is that supposed to mean anything? And he said no. Like, it just, the dude didn't drink. Muslims don't drink alcohol. And just, he left, and it wasn't meant to be. And so that was kind of my first sort of step into, okay, this isn't some largely allegorical film. So what's the point? Like, what are we, what are we looking at? Like, what is this if this isn't aimed i mean like this is like a post-stradarian sort of like post-structuralist post-modernist sort of time so fuck the thoughts of the author and the director and the writer right i get that like we can sort of make up our own but i'm that that left me very much that left me even more interested in what we make of this um because i felt like that left me more with the idea that this was meant to be a deeply involves sensory experience, a very provocative sort of thrust into exhaustion um, where egos clash and they clash not through dialogue, but through art, like through dance and through movement. And that's new to me in a horror film. I guess this is a horror film. I don't even know if this is a horror film. I just know that it was horrifying, you know? Um, I was just enamored. I mean, I Shay is onto something with like the legitimate like the legitimacy of lsd aside um mass psychosis can happen with even the most simplest of substances if there is no expectation for ingesting that thing that can be weed that can be lsd that could be uh, ecstasy that can be a lot of different things and so really it's just a tool for i think what lingers underneath and we see this through maybe some of the social fabric that um that comes through with characters talking about anal sex with characters talking about like this person isn't as talented as me there's this undoing nature of this film that happens very slowly but very obviously and i think if there is anything like a social commentary it's sort of and, and this is ironic considering we just did our us podcast but it's like what lingers underneath right like what lingers underneath our social mores um I found that to be the most interesting part of this movie. So, yeah, I'm like this. <laughs> I feel like I'm such a cunt, but this is great because Jim told me that I rate everything very high, and I'm so glad that I'm finally going to be able to even out my score. <laughs> um, it, like, I get, I get that the yeah. the dance was powerful. I get um, that it's it's kind of cool that there's not necessarily an underlining lying story, but the problem I've seen is that. Every reviewer I've taught or I've read about 
that has never done LSD has responded, well, I'm never doing LSD again. And I was like, oh, this is exactly what we talked about with Requiem for a Dream that people tried to improperly put mm. on Requiem, that, oh. it was a, that it was a drugs are bad and clay. And the thing is, is this is what this film is. This is what that is. There's no other underlying theme with Requiem. They talked about following your dreams and doing all these things. And there was a point to it. Really, this one is just like, hey, everybody's a shit bag. And if they do drugs, they're going to fucking kill you. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> that's so well, that's, stupid. Like, that's, I, I wish you wouldn't be so hung up on the drug thing. You should just take out the first 10 minutes. Yeah, I have to, though, because everyone else is and yeah, that, that is a problem it's for me. not okay so but, but even before the drugs kicked in people were taught and no you said anal sex let's call a spade a spade they're talking about how, how they would rape each other yeah okay yeah so that's literally real life though yeah like okay. i've and been that, around that, dudes they talk like and, that and, and, <laughs> yeah i know but and is that okay like and talking about people having it people is. tell you to kill yourself repeatedly it just happened to yeah, me that is well like people are really shitty and and this is one of the things like we yeah, always and talk that's about the thing that's scary about the movie forget drugs i don't give a shit about the drugs that okay but like, even even with that even with the taking out of the drugs right and we say okay yeah look at how shitty people are the interesting aspect of this film there was only five pages for the script 15 but who cares it started out with five. It grew a little bit, but the the point is, is most of this was improvised. Shooting script was five, yeah. And that's the point that people opted. That's that's how people act. That's how they so want. So if that is it. the horrifying thing to people, that this is how people act, isn't that scary? To me, it just is. That's really interesting. So right. so the debate so the debate seems to be. Let me just kind of take a step back. The debate seems to be Shayra is saying that the sort of the central element, the push, there's this large emphasis on like the drug use being the thing that's wrong, the thing that went wrong, that the catalyst being sort of the centerpiece. Whereas I think Jonah and maybe the rest of us, so this is, <laughs> Shaver, this is everyone versus you, uh, it, where you're like the Muslim guy that we truck out into the, into the, uh, into the ice. Uh, so the, the, I think everyone else is saying that it's a catalyst. It's a small catalyst. It's something that represents something deeper, I think. But you're saying that since so little of the film was scripted, was oriented, was narrated, that it really puts a larger emphasis on drug use being sort of the central component as like the problem, right? Is, is that, do I have that Not right? Not necessarily the problem, but the thing is, is the idea that that was a catalyst is, is actually not necessarily there. We're all shit. We, they had shit going on before mm -hmm. the LSD even came into play. They all were having their love triangles. They were talking shit about, oh, yeah, she's knocked up by some other guy. I thought she liked me. They were talking about dry butt sex. They were talking about, ah, maybe I'll do gay stuff. I don't know. And even the interviews, it was before they even were even tasting the sangria. So what would have uh, done They were it discussing stuff. So, so like, let's say, um, let's say we throw out LSD. I guess my question would be to you specifically, like, what do you think they could have thrown in as a catalyst uh, other than dr maybe drugs or LSD that would have? Honestly, I don't think a catalyst is necessary. We're all monsters. So just, just like, I was like, ah, fuck it. It's the last couple nights. Of, yeah. Uh, and then yeah. we're just going to act crazy. And like, oh, honestly, um, the thing is, is the person who did the craziest act, in my opinion, 
was the pregnant girl. She didn't have any of the sangria. Mm. She was cutting her arms up. Mm. That's scary. Mm. That's she didn't even have anything in her. And she was like cutting herself up. Like, yeah. holy shit. That what? okay. As somebody who's been encouraged to kill themselves by people at a party, I've been her where you basically take a razor to yourself. Okay. So I've had that experience in college. So what's scary to me about that, that's one of the scenes that affected me. She was my favorite character in the film because every scene that like deeply affected me involves her, like getting kicked in the stomach. That was what I was talking about. Like, her cry. Can we talk mm. about that actress's cry yeah, during that yeah, I hit? Say, I thought that was method acting. Like that was unbelievable. So, but my, my thing is that she, you're saying, oh my God, she cut herself. That's horrifying. Okay, yes, maybe that's disturbing. But the thing is, if everyone is yelling, kill yourself, kill yourself, that is that was really like clutching my pearls, kind of like that. That really deeply affected me. But I want to say that there's, I think it was the strangers at the end when, why are you doing this? And because you were home. Because you were home. Yeah, the, that was this movie. There is no point. There is no metaphor. It's just... It's really interesting. Uh, right, that's that that's scarier than I want to believe. I, I don't I don't think I ever want to do an analysis with Jonah and Shayra together again. That's really fucking scary. The idea that like it's just us, like that's us, as opposed to that's us. Oh, it's but, underneath the surface. We got to take this thing to get it Shira, out, bring it up. Shayra, you're being very dismissive about. Yeah, that's just how people are. Well, every social horror movie. And maybe even more just regular horror movies, even supernatural ones. Yeah, that's just how we are. Well, horror is about humans at the end of it. So every, every movie, so you could say, yeah, yeah, that's just how people are. I mean, it's it's, it's a little insensitive, in my opinion. I'm not saying I'm you're not being I'm not being insensitive about us being monsters. What I'm being insensitive to is that LSD is necessary to make us such. And okay. and and so and I'm going to just bring up a movie really quick, okay? Reefer Madness. That's what this was. Mm. It was silly. We're not going to go drowning our babies in a bathtub if we do LSD, okay? And and having the child in that, like, I'm sorry. But like, it's like it's like criticizing Top Gun and talking about how that's on how pilots fly. The movie really isn't about. It could have been about motorcycle riding. Top Gun really isn't about airplanes and fighter jets. It's just. A but new I movie. have to disagree because if you look at the end of the film, the chick who did this, right? The books that were on her, uh, the books that were on her bed, but also in the very beginning when we saw the interviews, you saw all the books and movies on the side. And by the way, is this becoming like a trope in all of the movies we watch where people put movies and books to kind of give you a hint of what they're going to do? Yeah, that was strange. Gosh, like, I, hey, you guys want to see what books I have? <laughs> but um, the thing is, is she had a book called LSD Psychotherapy. There were films that were put up. Um, specifically, I noticed uh, we had... Unchien Andalou, which okay. is an amazing fucking film. It has a lot of disturbing um, like imagery and stuff like that, but there's really no point to it. So once again, we can probably understand what they're coming from with this film. But um, the other thing that was, it was like, I think it's called Viber Boy or whatever. Um, it was a short film where basically <coughs> this transvestite uh, goes and brings a Aztec like relic back uh with them and becomes like some kind of superhero and the way that they kill people is through pleasure so they use this like penis like phallic thing to pleasure people to death right um so nice. the the killer at the end of this film is i know it's ridiculous <laughs> sorry <laughs> but um 
the the killer at the end of this i think was trying to pleasure people to death possibly but then the book next to her kind of hints at the fact that she may have been thinking this would help people like they're she's taking them on a spirit journey or something who knows uh, so i'm like what like it's not okay. just the okay. LSD okay. Is I, 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 a catalyst like it's kind of implied that it's a all right all right catalyst. all right so let's so let's do this let's do this right so let's 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 assume that uh this is clearly going to be an object of, of lowering the score for Shara, but let's assume that um the the way in which lsd is described is is not accurate that it's it's problematic it's wrong it doesn't do the thing that in gaspar noe's film it's supposed to do right so let's assume that so let's give you that Shara, right um can you see how there is just like fucking layers beyond it it could be weed it could be alcohol it could be ecstasy it could be anything else can you see how beyond that there is this conversation about sort of um what lingers beneath sort of the social mores. so, so shara think of um the initial dance that's fucking amazing right like choreo i i think choreographed amazingly in the beginning of the film it's very communal it's very um everyone together it's very uh, everyone's connected it's it's this really fucking mesmerizing art piece and as the story progresses, that communal component starts to turn into, let me think of the second dance scene, which is the versus scene, those two spots where you get this top down look where everyone's kind of doing their one-off, right? So there's that's the next real big dance scene. And then eventually it sort of spirals into the hellscape scene where the lights turn red and everyone is in their own fucking crazy hellish world where there is nothing but them and their fears and their anxieties and their you know their fears um writ large all over the place you know every people are fucking each other brothers are fucking sisters um you know there's a, 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 a guy's confused about his sexuality not sure whether to touch this person not touch, touch this other person he ends up being alone at the end so there's all this sort of like it starts with communal midway is sort of this sort of let's all individually hop in the middle and then by the end it's everyone's alone right everyone's seeking that connection but ultimately a lot of the people that were seeking that connection end up alone so there's this layer behind the drug use i i, I would expect that at least you could see that lsd or not there's a whole shitload of other layers outside of this i like, mean LSD obviously there's tool. layers but yeah, the yeah. thing is is some of them did not end up alone actually a lot of them ended up cuddled up with somebody um, yes. Even the brother and sister, and they had this conversation of let's not tell dad, let's not tell dad, um, where it, it's almost like they're like special secret. It, it almost made it like a special moment for them, which was really creepy in and of itself, if you think about it. Well, yeah, it's a fucked up moment. It's, it's, a, it's a taboo. It's something that ought not be. It's something that is socially unacceptable. It's something that is wrong, pr uh, pragmatically, socially, normatively. Right, so that's the point, I think, is that that what initially starts off as somewhat um, maybe obvious and somewhat benign social issues, like, hey, you know, you've been talking to that guy a little much, he's not really right for you, like, I'm your big brother, like, you should trust me, like, I got this. That turns into, hey, I really want you, let's fuck. <laughs> you know, like that—that's the—that's like the. I think the larger point. Like, let's just jump right into it. it. Seems to me that's the larger point of the film. That what we purvey as this, on the surface, um, sort of benign sense of social mores, 
is undergirded underneath by these very carnal desires, very visceral desires, and very isolationary desires. That's why I talked about the beginning, everyone's dancing together, and by the end, it's this hellscape of everyone together, people are contorting their bodies, and I want you, I'm gonna fuck you, like, it doesn't matter what you think. There's this very, like, isolation, so, I would still classify that as isolationary, even at the end. I don't think the sister really wanted that. I think that the brother wanted that, you know, so. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah. Actually, I think that was an, an important point that was being made that when yeah. when dads and brothers are always like, you need to not be with the bad guys and you need to be with the better guy. They're in a way being um, into that girl. And mm -hmm. this was actually portrayed in the anime Berserk where uh, mm -hmm. a, a princess uh, her dad has always like kind of held her away in the castle, but she ends up with another guy and, and the dad's really pissed. And then he gets called out. Like, you just want to fuck your daughter is what it is. And but like, the, so, so, that's so the key, that comes right? up. That is, that is an important, I think that was a very important message. That with Yeah. That so, so that, so my point is, you know, LSD or not, right. It's, it's, it's a catalyst to some, to the point of the film. Right. So I, I, I get the idea, like, and especially coming off of Requiem from a dream, like, like, we should be careful to um, not emphasize the substance as the problem, but rather the problem is underneath and the substance, whatever it is, could be anything, brings it out, right? So I get your warning, I get your, I get your- um, I hope that I have not portrayed that the problem with this movie is merely that that's not how LSD works. Mm. If that's how, if that's what you guys took from what I've been saying, uh, I have not been communicating well, I am, I am now officially scared of LSD, and it wasn't because of the film. Uh, I will never use LSD ever because, thank you, Shara. LSD, not on my list of things I will ever use. Uh, no, anyway, um, yeah, go go ahead. I, I feel like I've been talking too much. Go ahead. Uh, I just want to say that we're way past this, but it was one of my, and it was either you know her or Ben who brought up a point about how Psyche was, um, appeared to be, have minimal effects. Um, Right. Yeah. Uh, so I had another thought that, that she was, she, I mean, we saw her sip the sangria once, but I'm going to say that she was completely unaffected by the LSD. She was doing saw. Everything she did was an act. She just stood there the whole movie when she's just dancing in the corner, she's observing everybody. It was basically a, a psychology experiment for, her. I don't remember where I saw this. But when I was trying to see if I wanted to see, you know, read a, bit, a little about the film to see if this is something I wanted to see. Something I, I read somewhere that said that whoever was doing this, and I mistook it to, to be someone else when I saw it, so I was still surprised that it was her, was doing it to see what people would do. That was her motive for doing it, or the, the individual's motive was just to see what would happen if they spiked it with the LSD. So was this an experiment? That was my impression going in. So whoever did this, so watching her, once I learned, looking back, I only saw the movie once, but looking back, I thought maybe she was faking it the whole time and she didn't trip out until the end when she does the LSD. Not at all. So she does okay. LSD. She does, she drinks the sangria at multiple points in the movie. Okay. Uh, she engages, she hops in. I mean, that has its own implications, but she drinks the sangria. I, I'm thinking of at least twice. Where, uh, well, one of which has a giant sip where she's hanging out with, shit, I forget her name, the other uh, lesbian woman who's trying, vying for her attention, but she's like, oh, you're boring. Takes a giant sip of the sangria then. So that that's, this is where it gets interesting, right? Is 
she's um, less affected, but it could just be that she's taken it a lot. See, this is where it gets it gets kind of funky. I, Jim, Ben, you guys want to jump in? We've kind of been going all around here. I, we're jumping all over the place. Ben, do you want to go or? Yeah, you yeah, got some. Go. Yeah, no, I, I really actually, I kind of like that interpretation. That's pretty cool. Um, not just as somebody who uh, wrote and carried out psychological experience or experiments rather all throughout college. Um, I mean, I, I can totally dig that. Like if that literally was her uh, motivation, she's like, let me just introduce this manipulation to the environment and just see what the fuck happens. Um, but no, let's just, let, let me, uh, I want to mess with that idea a little bit just for a moment. So she does this and she gives everyone this LSD, just kind of like break down their barriers and see kind of like how they're going to interact without that sort of top level ego um, holding down their, their id essentially or whatever it is. Um, and then she jumps in to kind of like enjoy the chaos. You know, I, I don't know. Let's let's say that I don't know. Let's let's say that this maybe isn't a horror movie. Let's say that um, all of this chaos and all of this vortex of activity and aggression and fear and passion. Maybe it was an allegory. Maybe it's just an allegory for our lives, just sort of like sped up to like a million times, just to, to go through the entire cycle through the course of a single night. Maybe that's really what we're looking at here: is ourselves just purified and stripped of any um, pretense. And I kind of think that's cool because maybe you know, if this was sort of an experiment on the part of Psyche, she goes in here and does this to sort of enjoy that for herself i mean presumably she would know what the effect is going to be if she introduces everyone to the substance or at least somewhat because she is taking it as some kind of like a psychotherapy which by the way if we dig into that a little bit i think the research says that people had looked into that as being a uh having like medicinal purposes to to help with like depression or like schizophrenia to help people drop the the focus on unimportant details and just sort of like refocus what's important right um I'm not sure that really means anything for the for the course of the movie, but or okay, and there 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 might be like other other uh, uses as well. But like basically, the effect is is that it overloads kind of like your serotonin system and just sort of sticks there for a while, and sort of like refocuses your attention. I think is like what the overall effect is um, from a neuroscience perspective. And like I'm just like glossing over a lot of that, but I love that that she creates this chaos that she jumps into. And fully knowing what the effect is going to be, she just presumably kind of like appreciates the, the, the ride. Um, and I think that's a really just kind of like a great way to describe Gaspar Noe's films is just you jump in and enjoy the ride because there really is no, I mean, there's kind of like a plot, but there's really not much plot to speak of. It's like these things happen and then now everyone's having this experience. And then let's just see where that takes us. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, that was the experience for me is that I was watching all this chaos ensue and all the never once really like you, you, you never once have like a point of reference to be able to try and sit down and make sense of things and like take account of the situation. You're just sort of like without control being tossed back and forth in the ebb and flow of the emotion and passion and just the situation going on all around you. You have no control over it whatsoever. And I really don't think that's much different than what life is actually like. Like, just to kind of go back to Shira's point, yeah, I sort of agree with that. It's like that's that's really what's going on every single day. But the fascinating part of that about this movie is that we get to observe it for a little while in a sort of purified form and interpreted through dance, which, again, like, I, you know, I really do think that's super unique for what we could potentially consider a horror film or just really in any film in general these days. I mean, I almost felt like I was watching a sort of terrifying ballet that was able to communicate the chaos of life and the human experience through dance. You know, I don't know. Um, 
Oh. Anyway, yeah. So like, I just, I, I really, really appreciate the the perspective that maybe like Psyche was just doing a little bit of an experiment that she just kind of like wanted to also personally jump into. I hate this. Um, I, yeah, that's, cool. that's terrifying to me. Like, stop. Well, yeah, right. That right. is so scary. <laughs> well, that's that so scary, dude. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Like the idea of like, come into my world is fine. I get that. Like, see what I see. Like, that's cool. But like, fuck, I don't want to see what Psyche sees. Like, she, give me the credits at the end of the film, not in the middle. That's too, that's too much. I can't, I can't do it. But wait a second. Now at the beginning, when we see the video playing of all the interviews of these people going into this class, uh, we see books and movies on the side. Isn't that possibly Psyche's house where she's watching stuff? Do that's we know whose house we're in? Yeah, I mean, that's entirely possible, but that would be an interpretive framework that we're using on the film. Um, this idea that uh, Psyche was the was doing an experiment or that Psyche just wanted to get all her friends high or Psyche just wanted to, I, you know, there's no, there's no point in this narrative when Psyche's uh, point of view or objective becomes overtly clear. Um, yeah. It's fine. Like I'm not, I, I don't necessarily need. I agree. Uh, twirling moment where I was like, you see, you have all become my pawns. Like I don't need that moment from Psyche in order to make this film um, not recommended. I'm not a fan of it. But anyway, uh, the point is, is that uh, I think where Louis Bunuel uses magic in the exterminating angel to prove that we're all monsters, Gaspar Noe uses LSD to prove that we're all monsters. And those the and I also want to comment on what you said, Ben. I think that you're right when you're when like an interpretive framework that says that um, psyche is just doing this as a an experiment. That is something that we're putting on the film, and I think that that kind of jives with the way Gaspar Noé makes movies. Uh, Gaspar Noé. Um, is a provocateur more than he is a filmmaker. He is a he he wants an emotional response out of the audience more than he wants to tell a compelling narrative. Um, that's why this is more of an experimental film than it is a traditional narrative story like uh, like Bunuel, um, like Bunuel did with with Exterminating Angel. I mean, I I as I was watching this film everything every at every moment i was impressed with the technical aspects of how we moved the camera the acting and and how committed all the actors were but at the end of the day i left the theater and said boonwell did it better um which yeah that that may just be because i saw exterminating angel and other people didn't. what do you guys uh johnny you're raising your hand Noah, you're raising your hand everybody's raising go, their go. yeah this is clearly a uh a pop jonah go ahead and then i have a question from chat that i think will elucidate maybe some of the stuff we've been talking about okay, go, so, go ahead jonah so this is uh, this is my notes this has a sub bullet to it but uh one of the things that i guess buttressed my idea and i was talking to you guys about this in the on facebook before we started what, about how Psyche was manipulating everybody on purpose was I wanted, I didn't get a chance to, there was a lot of very fast scenes in the film that I didn't have time. If I could pause and like study, I would. But if, Psy if 
Psyche had the keys to the electrical room at the end because, you know, like Tito was locked in the electrical room and the mother was looking for the keys and then she killed herself because she couldn't find them because Tito killed himself. If she had the keys in her room, like next to her bag on LSD, that means that she found the keys and she was, that would be so evil and sinister that she found them and she was holding them so the mother couldn't find them so Tito would, could die. I mean, that is just one, that's why, I, that was the thrust of why I was asking if she had the keys, because I thought that would just make her the real villain. But the, the, the reason why I was raising my hand is, okay, at the end of Synecdoche, New York, it's a very slow fade to white before the main character dies. That's once, you know, like that's, it's a, it's a very, it's like a minute long fade to white. Um, and the same thing happens in, in this film. And so I was asking by putting the LSD in her eyes, that mean she's dead. If, if no, I have an interpret interpretation that is kind of weird because the film opens in white and it ends with her putting LSD in her eye, which gives it a white. If you took that scene where she puts the LSD in her eye and then put it at the beginning of the film, that would mean that the whole film is her never happened and the whole film is her hallucination in her room like she's just hallucinating the whole thing because she puts it in her eye and she just imagines it does that make sense i mean it may not be logical but do the words that are coming out of my mouth make sense i, I don't understand people do put lsd in their eyes but it doesn't actually affect it in any different way like it actually is the exact same way as if you take it orally the only thing that might actually make lsd affect you a little bit differently i've heard from people is from boofing um and if you don't know what boofing is you probably figured it out from the kavanaugh uh <laughs> interview if you didn't know about that um boofing is basically taking it anally <laughs> Shit. yeah yeah jonah was shaking his head he was like what's boofing jonah just don't google it don't don't google it's like it. santorum don't google it <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, no, so, but my, my thing is, well, somebody said in the beginning of the film, one of the interviews <coughs> about putting LSD in their eye, and I don't remember what that comment was, but my thing is, is she tripping? <coughs> she doesn't die. Okay, I get that. But is she, if she, if that is the beginning of the film, is she, is it conceivable that she was tripping the whole thing and everything was her hallucination? God, I hope not. If that's true, I didn't like this movie. It kills yeah. the movie for me. I, like, fuck the this reason movie. why I don't buy it, <laughs> the reason why I don't buy it is because uh, who was the first person to start acting a little strange? Do you guys remember? David? I mean, everybody was kind of talking weird, but what was the first <laughs> behavior where everybody was like, what the fuck is happening is it where psyche yeah. uh, peace yeah psyche peace in the uh room oh, right right yeah, yeah. like oh, i'm it's pretty sure that if everybody was like uh not tripping they would have been like uh someone help this girl <laughs> like i don't know they did act react like what the fuck all right so so i got it so someone in the chat actually asked a really good question that may elucidate all of our differences um so uh Africoca, Jesus, can't read this right, uh, asked, uh, would it be more effective if we knew the juice was spiked, but we didn't know with what? Yes. I think that would have, that would have, it wouldn't have made a difference. And that goes to my point. It does, the drugs don't matter. That's why I kind of joke about I think it would have made it better. I, I, I agree. I, I, agree. I, I agree. I agree. I, I actually agree. I, yeah. I think, I, I think that, uh, 
Yeah. It would have actually made the film better. It would have added an element of, of mystery and discussion. But to, uh, there's a problem with this film and some of the script, and I'm sure this is from the improvisation, but I was being sent off in a veered, veered off in this other direction in my mind when I was watching it because throughout the conversations before anything gets crazy, people are like, what's that flag? What's this flag here? What's what's this what's this flag? And then they kept talking about like, um, uh, is this like some kind of weird ritualistic place? Like, what has gone on here? I thought this was gonna take a turn for like, uh, some warlocks are gonna come out, maybe some demons, <laughs> some weird cults, maybe some kind of monster that eats them, and like this is like they're just food for the monsters or something. And it was literally just like, oh no, we were just tripping balls, and I was like that. Well, the flag was just the flag was the sequin red, white, and blue French flag. That's what they were pissed off about, right? Yeah, but that's that's the key. Oh my God, Shara, I love you. I God, I love you. But ah, all right. So it's that was the that was the first indication of something communal is off, right? It's like why is that there? And not only that, it wasn't just the flag. It was also like the there were some religious iconography that was problematic to other characters. And it was this idea of like, <clears throat> why? Why is this communal thing to which we've all subscribed collectively, typically as a society, whether it be politically, whether it be religiously, why is that there? I don't like that. I don't like that. That's the first indicator from the collective to the individual, to the carnality of the individual. It's this removal of the self from a society to the carnal, to the self to isolation, right? That's that's how I took that. I took that as less of a, a monster, scary fear or something gonna pop out to more like, um, why am I a part of this apparatus? Like that bothers me, this thing bothers me. It's more me. And then me turns into, hey, you look good, me fuck you. You me, me fuck you. You know what I mean? That that sort of thing. That's how I took it. It was a, it was a, it was a, um, a de-evolution, as it were, from the communal to the self to the carnality of the self, right? To the Did you isolation not see that anybody actually found themselves through this spirit journey? Yeah, I mean, so did anyone really find? Was there? That's I a good thought question. there were people. I thought there were people that found themselves on this spirit, like, journey. like in a in a positive light in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, who? Okay, so who found themselves positively in this movie? That's a really good way to look to ask. That's a really good question to ask. Um, because okay, and this is the thing. I do believe, um, I do believe that uh, Psyche was doing something psychological. I mean, it's in her name. It's in the book that she had next to her. It's it's very much implied in the film. And this is why I asked you guys earlier, who do you think was watching the interviews with the books and the movies on the side? You had a shit ton of films that are hinting at what the intentions of this film is. You had, uh, what is it, Solo? You had um, the Uncian Andalou. I don't know what other mm -hmm. movies you guys uh, saw. Poseidon um, Adventure. Uh, the inauguration Poseidon of the Pleasure Dome. Um, that, I, I wrote down some of them that I saw, but like honestly, there was, there was so many things to those films that were portrayed there that might be an intentionality of Psyche's character. But um, I think that her intention was that she was trying to help people on a spirit, spiritual journey. And here's the thing. Yeah, some of them are going to come out as being monsters, but that's literally reality. Some of us are wearing masks and what's underneath us is dark. But there were some people that weren't as dark. Um, uh, you had the 
the daddy, if you will, and the, and the child situation happening with the virgin, uh, where they were cuddled up near the end. Um, you have the two girls that ended up cuddled up together at the end. And what's interesting about one of those girls was she was um, attacked by everyone. Like she thinks everybody wants her. Do, 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 do. Yeah, they all actually do though. That's actually the truth. But she ended up with the girl who was very direct in what she was wanting throughout the whole entire film. She had a very uh, one, one track mind of her desires. And then she ended up there. Um, but, there were but, people but, that but, had an okay spiritual journey. Yes, there was darkness that happened, but that's part of the darkness of life, right? That's part of our journey. There's darkness that you hit, and then you get to that that end. But it was one. But it was but it was one trackness related to psyche. She didn't get psyche, so she, her second place was Sophia Butella, like her character. What was her name? Selma, I think that's what her name was. It's like twenty characters in this film, so forgive us if we don't remember all the character names. But but it it was like. I mean, do we really want to argue? She, got, I, I can't think of anyone who got what they want. So, so I the, think that Selva was raped by the woman, the, the short-haired woman. Yeah, yeah, like right, like so. That you're totally right. Like, uh, no, was, no, no, no. Actually, I had this discussion with my husband. No, no, no. Okay, so uh, th th this is super important to understand. Uh, at first, it was definitely a shock that she had a reaction to it, but she was definitely into it a couple of seconds later, and. Uh, it's very important to understand that like, yeah, maybe it wasn't necessarily put forth like, oh, I want to do this right, right then and there. Um, I've had this happen to me from women <laughs> who are a little bit uh, abrupt. Um, but sometimes that's what you're looking for isn't necessarily what you know you actually want. Was it really consensual though? I mean, if it, you it definitely was consensual, especially when she took the guy out and slammed the door behind him and then cuddled up with the girl. But no, Shara, 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 knowing you don't want the man doesn't mean you're okay enough to know you want the woman. Like, just because you know what you don't want doesn't mean you can consent to what you actually want. Like, they're super fucking inebriated in, in an okay, like, so other yeah, world. We're going to argue from everybody's drunk, so everybody's raping each other, fine. But why is this specific one rape and none of the other ones rape then? But they're all raped. Like the, all the, of them are right. Oh okay. God! I like in my in my mind, anyone who fucks anyone in this context is whether they know it or not, forcing themselves on someone who is not apt to be able to make that determination. All of them, like they're all super fucked up. Whether we argue that LSD is appropriate catalyst or not, like they're all not in the appropriate state of mind unless they're sober. And if they were sober, they clearly died. I think. If, if we're gonna argue all of it's rape, that's fine. But I, yeah. I really have a hard time believing that this one situation's rape and all the other ones are just like, okay. I agree. I agree. I think they're all rape. They're all rape. Literally, are are capable of giving consent. From a legal perspective, all of them are incapable of giving active consent yep. uh, based upon what we know of the effects of this maybe LSD stand-in drug. Uh, so I, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. They, it, it depends. It sort of depends upon your point of view of how you look at uh, what their intentions are both prior to and during the trip and whether or not you believe that LSD is this thing that opens up your inner desires and whether those inner desires is a, a true reflection of who you are and blah, 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 blah. But legally speaking, it's all 
they're all incapable of giving consent. Yeah, if, if we're gonna talk legal, fine, it's all right. But uh, like the the problem I had was that out of all these situations, the lesbian. Uh, it, it was the first one to be accused of raping, and I was like, "No, they—they they nope. definitely were both fucking each other at some point and getting very." I, I would be the so. first to say in this in this discussion that that was not the first instance of rape in the movie. There was, I give me a minute to go back and watch, but I, I promise you that that's not my conclusion. Yeah, I can't yeah, name one specifically. Me, but no, no, just, no, 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 me, me neither. It, it's definitely not the. First instance of non-consensual <laughs> relation feels so proper. Non-consensual relation in this Gaspar Noé film. It's certainly not the first, uh, the first uh, piece of it in this movie. But the reason I think it stands out, Shayra, is that um, Sofia Battelle is the main actress. Like she's sort of the main person in this movie. The camera follows her more than anyone else. So I think that's why maybe we're focusing on her. I think it's just a happenstance that she ends up being with a woman, I, I didn't even care about that part. I think it was just everyone I think is sufficiently fucked up. But I think we're missing, I think we're missing the larger point by getting focused on the substance, by getting focused on some of the things we've been talking about. I think that like, I, if there's anything that Gaspar Noah is trying to get us to see, it's almost almost like the shit that we talked about last week in us it's the it's the beneath the surface i think to gasper it'd be the depravity that's underneath us i think um there's a sense in which you know so think of let's let's take a step back and think of the scene where like the hellscape scene where power goes out everything turns red and this is everything's turned up to 11 at this point right um death and sexuality are just intermingled at this point. You see people dying and people fucking seconds apart, right? I mean, there's a sense in which you see kids and incest and fucking and killing all within a minute. And there's this sort of underneathness that comes out. And I think that that may be some of what Gaspar Noé is bringing about, that it's this sensory overload in regard to what is underneath social mores, and whether that is lesbianism, whether that's bi, whether that's cis, whether, I mean, it doesn't really fucking matter. I think the point is, it's about carnality and desire and what's underneath and all it takes, right? And this, Shara, this actually may be to your point, is that LSD or not, all it takes is a little thing. LSD, weed, alcohol, that catalyst doesn't matter. It takes this little thing to bring about sort of like to 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 un, um, to to overshadow these clear lines of demarcation, which I think ultimately ends up being why Gaspar Noé enters his credits in the middle of the film. At first, I thought that was the most insane fucking pretentious shit I've ever seen in my life. I was like, "What? What? What? Is it over? Should I turn everything off?" I was like, the "Really frustrated." Beginning. No, no, he does it. He does it uh, three times. He does it at the beginning. He does it in the middle during the versus scene where it's like that very EDM top down look. As soon as that's done, credits. There's credits right there. Yeah. And then at the end. So three times. So I think that the point there underlines the larger point for the rest of the film that there is this blurring of clear lines of demarcation. In this case, in cinema, we expect credits to come at the end of a movie. In this case, he enters them at the beginning, at the middle, and at the end. And it's this sort of entrance at that point. By the way, it, it, 
at that particular scene where you're looking top down and it's that versus music scene where everyone's doing their one-off dancing, you are leaving communal heaven where everyone is on the same page, everyone's close, everyone's good, oh, you did a good job, I did a good job, we're close. You have left that area and you have entered hell. The red light turns on, the kid electrocutes himself, hits the shit, everything goes off, and you are now entering Sounds a Sounds awesome to me. Stave. Well, but like, oh, so, so that, no, no, but that's like, that's, that's part of, that's part of the question in this movie, right? Is there carnality, man. Like this movie is about sensory, sensory experience of human carnality and removing clear lines of demarcation from a filmmaker's perspective, from a writer's perspective, from an acting perspective, and from a cinematic perspective. All lines of demarcation are removed and you are left with sensory overload and you're just left with a big capital W-T-F. Right. So let's, let me interrogate that because I think that you're, I think everything you're saying is absolutely right. Um, I agree with literally every word you just said, except that you came down liking the movie and I came down not recommending it. Um, so I want to know why yeah, <laughs> you are uh, you reacted uh, yeah so why is it that that works for, so that seems to me to be a fairly simplistic message underneath all of these social and societal and um rhetorical norms are just a bunch of assholes who do asshole things got it so isn't that a relatively shallow message that you've seen that we've seen before? Isn't that something that I mean, if we just strip away all the rhetorical niceties and all of the incredible filmmaking, which I'm going to give it, uh, it's technical uh, uh, merits aside. Why is this a film that 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 sparks the fear in you that I haven't seen with other more in depth? or well, uh, well-structured movie. I, I can feel that. So jo jo Jonah, go, and then I'm gonna answer Jim. Cause I think Jonah, okay. you, we may have similar answers, Jonah, but I'll let you go and then I'm gonna answer Jim. Thank you, it's very simple. It's the specifics, specific things that happened that I relate to on a personal level that I probably shouldn't share publicly or privately. There are things that happen in this movie. There are very specific scenes of things that I, like I said, have either happened to me in one way or another, that are just too reminiscent of my past traumas. And that those are that's why I read the movie resonated with me. It's because of this if those things hadn't happened, had they been something else, the movie probably wouldn't have had the same effect on me. It's again, finally, again, the specific there are only about between three and five things in this movie that really haunted me. And they were because of what the reasons I just said. And that's so that's a that's sort of an idiosyncratic personal response. Yeah. Yes. Fair. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. So mine is less idiosyncratic, mine's less personal. I guess Jim I would answer by saying that and this is this is either a criticism of or a um a, a sort of praise to the sort of horror films that do it for me and they are those in which they speak to something simple, fundamental like apt to the human condition, but express it in ways that are unique. So it's a very simple idea that underneath our social mores, 
we're 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 monkeys. Like we're we'll rip each other's fucking face off. I, I think all of us are smart enough to know that. At least all of us on this podcast. I mean, we say this as though it's something simple, but I don't know, man. I've talked to a lot of people who think that, you know, human beings are intrinsically perfect and good. And it, it, to us, I think it's a very simple thing. But I, I, I think that the the beauty of this film is in how it navigates that simplicity. It's the same with it follows, and it's the same with Hereditary. It's movies for me that take a very simple concepts and express them through layers of complexity that you have to navigate. In this movie, art and dance, um, that is very foreign to me. I am not a dancer, I am not an artist, I'm very left-brained. Um, so for me, when I see a movie that takes this very innate idea that I share, which is that human beings are intrinsically shitty things that we ought not probably reproduce, the sort of my anti-natalist shit comes out when I watch this movie. When I, when, I, when I think about the human condition and who we are as people, and I watch that depravity played out through nothing but human movement, body movement, that is fucking phenomenal to me. That's unique to me, it's novel to me. I can see movies, plenty of movies, in which that same simplistic concept is drawn out through dialogue and narrative. But to see it drawn out primarily through human movement is different for me. I, I'm not an artsy person. And so to watch that happen through art, through movement, through dance is unique to me. Um, so I think that's maybe where you and I may differ is I, I have not seen, I, I have not seen half as many movies as you, I, I think. Um, and this is one of those movies where I, 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 maybe I just need to keep growing. But I watch this and I go, I share that central experience. I share that central thought, but I've never seen it drawn out through. <laughs> 1996 EDM. I, do we, do we want to call it EDM? Sort of I'm 1990s not, music? That's just because I'm being, uh, being a little uh, mean to the movie. So, But I, I agree with a lot of what you said, except for when you started talking about the complexities of this. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's much in the way of complexities, both in character design and character uh, mm -hmm. motivations. I think all of these motivations and designs are laid up within the first 20 minutes, and then the rest of the film just kind of throws all of that shit together. Well, okay, so let me let me respond to that. There's complexity in the sense of individualistic fears. So you have characters who are struggling with their sexuality. The main dude with the shaved head, I forget his name, who clearly wants to fuck everyone and their mom, but then he also David. has- David. All right, so David has this issue where he's already had sex with multiple women on the group, but he's got this thing with the with the boy who's never had sex, who's a virgin. So there's that, there's that degree, there, there's that issue, there's that primality, there's that something there. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it. I want to be a part of it, but it's there. And he has a little bit of LSD, and he starts making out with the guy, touching the guy. No, get back. So there's that complexity. There's the there's the complexity. It like it's individualized throughout the movie by different people's fears and repressive thoughts. So I mean. In that sense, I mean complexity. I mean complexity at the individual level. Um, overall, broadly speaking, if we take the idea to be like this sort of underneathness, sure, it's not that novel of an idea. It's not even that complex of an idea. But I think how it was drawn out through, I mean, there's 20 characters, there's 20 plus people in this movie. And each of them, you start to see each of them 
having that LSD type fear mongered underneath the surface trip come out differently from a woman scrubbing the blood off of herself to another woman who hasn't even had any LSD punching herself in the stomach because everyone's telling her to kill herself and to kill her baby to a person who clearly has sexual repression, to a person who ha clearly has problems with uh, success. I mean, there's all of these different people having their own issues, but that's the point is that everyone underneath is something different than what they purvey socially. So when I say complexity, I don't mean the concept is complex. It's pretty simple. We're all fucked up. We're all something other than what we purvey, right? Like I have 12, you know, murdered children underneath my bed right there. You think I look good and I'm at, you know, just, anyway, it's a joke. It's a hundred percent joke. But, but like, that's the yeah, point. The point is we all purvey this idea of something we're not. That's simple. Like that's simple. I think how it's traced out is the complex part in this movie, just the most multiplicity of characters. Does, does that make sense? It, it does. I think we're using the term complexity in, in different ways. Um, I mean, what I am reading from what you're saying is you're equating complexity with multitude and I'm com equating complexity with, I want to, um, like a character that has uh, motivations and desires, but he also has conflicting motivations and desires. And that sort of builds a three-dimensional character. And then you put him through a plot where he has to n navigate both the conflict, the conflicting emotions and desires and the and the underlying emotions and desires. And then things change and characters alter as a result of different stimuli. I mean, that's, that's sort of a, a basics of a three-dimensional character in a traditional narrative plot. And that's what's missing from this film. Now I get that no, I doesn't want to play by but those. But that's what happens. No, no, but Jim, but Jim, that's what happens. That happens in this movie. Think think of David. David is the guy who, uh, let's, let's just stick with David as an example. David is the guy who uh, wants to fuck everyone, right? He's already fucked multiple people. And so, you know, he's going to Sophia Batella, he's going to other, he's going to a, a man, a woman, he's going everywhere, but he can't get what he wants. And so by the end of that, that's the horror of David's character, right? Is that by the end of this, he's alone. He gets beat up. He gets, he gets the shit knocked out of him. Everyone he goes to, will you do this thing for me? No. Will you do this thing for me? No. This is the thing I want. I need fulfillment. I need sexual satisfaction. I need closeness. Will you do it? No. Will you do it? No. No, nobody's doing it to the point to which he's locked out completely. Like I consider that to be an, at least an attempt at showing the complexity of a particular person in the sense that they don't get what they're looking for. That's just one character out of 20. Right, right, right. I mean, and what I'm referring to though, let me finish this real quick. Uh, what I'm referring to though is you know, basic structural definitions of what a three-dimensional character is, and that includes his own attempt to uh, nullify those desires, like his own attempt that he has conflicting desires within himself. Mm -hmm. what, when you talked about David, you talked about one thing, his desire to fuck. He doesn't care if it's an electric outlet. He will want. He wants to fuck it, and so it's one particular motivation that's pushing him 
through the narrative of the film, rather than multiple motivations that shift and in a result of change. But, but you just got done yeah. saying multiplicity is the problem. Sometimes it's the one singular motivation that is the power. Like, I, I don't think it's necessarily even sexual. I think it's just the desire to be wanted. I mean, nobody cries over the idea of not being fucked. Like he cries because he's not desired. He's not a thing to be desired. He can't. He is desired. I mean, but he not really. No, he is. He is pursued by certain people. It's not the people he wants. The thing is, mm. uh, the thing is with David, it's very one dimensional. And the reason for it is that all he has is this one thing, which is he needs particular people to like him. That is one dimensional. Now, uh, I, I, I really do feel what Jim is saying here. If he had some conflicting motivations that were going on, you know, it would make him a little bit more fascinating. And this happens with all the characters. Um, yes, there's a whole bunch of different characters with a whole bunch of different motivations, but they don't have a lot of conflict within themselves. And that makes it uh, seem a little vapid, almost like a teen drama. And I hate to put it down that way, but that's just the kind of uh, vibe it gives off because of that one dimensionality. It's not necessarily a, a shitting on it because I understand there is a, ne a necessity for teen drama. Mm -hmm. But that's the kind of vibe it gives off because mm -hmm. the 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 characters are like, this is what I'm pursuing and this is what I need. And if I don't get it at the end, then fuck my life. You know what I mean? Well, whether it's I think you guys are. Go ahead. I, th I kind of think you guys are like missing the point a little bit, though. I mean, like if if we were to build up that narrative and that character development, that three and that three dimensionality and make this about kind of like that plot and that structure and that very um, like super ego level stuff. Um, that's that's kind of like the antithesis of what this movie is trying to do and why it's good. Um, I'm pretty sure like all that left out, all that was left out on purpose, and that's that's actually why I really enjoy the movie is because it it's it's another one of those films like like Antichrist and like the Seventh Seal that attempts to just kind of like lift the veil a little bit. And so like maybe that doesn't necessarily speak to everyone, but. As, as for me personally, like I, I really don't generally give a shit too much about like what the plot is and what the narrative is. And um, I think just having kind of like that reminder of just sort of the underlying chaos of life is sort of like what speaks to a lot of my fear. But yeah, I mean, like if if Gaspar Noe had tried to do all of those things that you're attempting to, to talk about here and to say are the faults of the film, then it would have been an entirely different film with an entirely different message. Yes, yes. Thank you. Whether it's actual or perceived, um, David's per per perspective, from my perspective, is that he's looking around and he's seeing people have what he wants. Whether or not that's happening is all maybe in his head. He sees people cuddling or making out, fucking whatever, or just not but he he he's so insecure and he's so desperate for that human connection that um that desperation manifests in a way that comes off as a uh, tasteless but in a really sick and perverse way i kind of get it and noah you said that nobody cries over not being fucked and i will, will fight you on that because i i completely disagree and we talked about this before you know before the show started but it's like the scene in twin peaks with you know please somebody dance with me for those who haven't seen it there's a scene in the show twin peaks 
where the father is just, he's at a party and he's crying hysterically for someone to dance with him while everybody is dancing with each other. And his, his pleas isolate him even further. So I get David's, um, as somebody who hasn't, um, I mean, I'm not like David. I don't relate to him. I don't condone his behavior. But as someone who hasn't had physical contact in a very long time, uh, and not necessarily by choice, I, I kind of get his frustration, anger, and his attitude. Uh, there was a point earlier when in my life when um, I would have identified more with him than I do now because I've developed a level of maturity and apathy. But I, I get it. So I, I definitely think that that repression was uh, well portrayed and um, that, that, that isolation. It's not just about I want to fuck everyone. It's really about the need for human connection that gets so intense. It's a little bit like Frank in Blue Velvet where he's like, oh, fuck anything that moves. You know, like I just, you know, he's just, it's, it's a seething um, need. That, that that manifests in evil ways, but I think it, it ultimately starts from a place of compassion that just got out of control. But I don't know enough about David to uh, to make those judgments. But, but it's, 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 it's the place of compassion that, oddly enough, that I have compassion for. It's not the carnal thrust of the hips fucking. He's clearly had enough of that. But like he's fucked multiple people on the, the dance party from, from my understanding of the movie, but I, I think the idea is that he's looking for some. He's looking for connection. He's looking for something beyond mere fucking. He's, he, you know what I mean. So I, but I, I get Jim's point. I get Shara's point. The idea of, you know, look, it's it's a, it's a simple concept. The idea that this guy doesn't get X, where X is, sex. Um, you know, it's not a well-rounded, very complex character. If that person is defined by wanting this one thing, but like. I don't know. In certain films, that's right, and in other films, that's wrong. I think in certain movies, when the movie when the movie is about carnality, when it's about vice and underneathness and about um, desire, it's okay to have that desire be a singular central thing. In fact, I think most of the characters in this movie are defined by a single central need. And given that there are so many, it's forgivable for me to think that that's that, that it, it's not a problem to me because there's so many characters. If it was two people and they only wanted one thing, I get the criticism. But then since there's so many, the idea is that culturally we have this very complex set of desires described in different ways by an abundance of different people in this movie. We each have something like a singular thing they're looking for that, that they either get or don't get. But that is that itself is a catalyst to the idea that we all want inner desires. We all have inner needs. We all want secret things. And they come out when we are uninhibited and inebriated in sufficient capacities, whether it's LSD or something else. I don't see much more of an analogy in this film than that. And if you take that away from me, I just see a bunch of horny, you know, young people wanting to fuck, and and I, I just don't like that. So since I don't like that, you're wrong. The end. <laughs> I, have a, I have a question for you, Noah. I love that, okay. but all right, all right. I have a question for you. <coughs> okay. 
we've been doing this show for a long time. What are yeah. the what are the two main things that scare me? Uh, okay, let me get this right. The two main things that scare you are uh, losing the idea of self, being replaced, replicantism, being removed, the idea of the loss of the self. I mean, that seems to be wow. central. What uh, what was that, Jim? And I said, and clowns. Um, clowns. Oh, and exactly. Clowns. And clowns. Right. And here's the thing. This that, like losing the sense of self and clowns. And clowns. <laughs> it's the cute way of putting it, but it, and, and that's exactly right. You guys are exactly right. So take that into consideration when considering this film for me, okay? My biggest fear is when our agency is taken away and when there's things that are hidden behind a fucking mask. Who's behind that fucking mask? This is the opposite of that. This is yeah. revealing what your true intentions are. For me, and I know this is crazy, for me, I feel safer when I know what you're actually up to, what you're actually defined by, what you're actually going to try to pursue in your life. And one of the things that's interesting about me, when, when I get alone with my friends and we start drinking, we start getting into the conversations about what is actually what makes you tick. And they'll sometimes reveal stuff that they're like, oh, this is dark. She's going to get fucked up by this. And I'm like, yes, tell me a dark side. So it's authenticity to you. Like this movie yes. is, is a sense in which there's an authenticity to you. I yes. see. Okay. So it's hard for me just because of who I am. And this is no nothing against what you guys are, are experiencing, right? But for me, I want your mask to come off. I want to know what you actually are thinking and what makes you tick. And for me, that is like actually positive. Even if other people are like, oh, well, you're a monster. We all are. What is what makes you tick though? That makes a lot of sense why this film didn't work for you. Um, yeah, go ahead, No, You were gonna say something on- No, no, I was just gonna say, that's interesting. That's um, <laughs> in a sense, Shira, this film can be, maybe characterize as quite cathartic for you. I guess for me, it's uh, the idea of inauthenticity. So maybe that's the difference between you and I, Shara, is the idea of inauthenticity. Like for you, it's um, an exciting ordeal to say, put take the mask off, be you, let's talk, right? For me, I have spent the majority of my life finding out I have a mask. And so it's difficult for me to be like, this is me. Like my desires aren't entirely what I purvey them to be in a social context. I don't like that. That's uncomfortable to me. It's bothersome to me. I, you know, uh, which is even more interesting in the sense that you and I both come from a very, very evangelical Christian background. So curious to see how we ended up on different sides of this road but i guess you know for me the idea of inauthenticity as a concept regardless of how it is cashed out is scary that's a scary thought um maybe for you the idea of an authenticity of cashed out the right way is exciting it's fun it's not something to be scared about it's something to be embraced maybe that's the difference between us um i don't know very interesting but that's actually beautiful, right? And so, like, that's the funny part about when I was watching it. I was just like, ah, I feel cozy. Like, I'm putting a Snuggie on. And you're like, ah, what the fuck is this No, shit? no, I, I was putting a Snuggie on 
if the Snuggie had like spikes in it or some shit. Like I could, that's not, yeah, it was a deathy. It wasn't a Snuggie. My whole thing though is like someone saying you should kill yourself. And you go, oh, that's nice. Now I know how you feel. I feel good about that. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> no. Uh, I do not feel good about that. And honestly, uh, that was still, uh, once again, a cathartic thing for me. Um, so you you talk about your personal experiences of being, uh, I, I'm gonna get dark with you, okay? Cause you, you didn't wanna go to your personal space, but I'll go with mine. When I was 14 years old, I was raped by a very close friend of mine, someone I trusted. I was at a party when that happened. When I left the party, I had blood dripping down my legs because I just got raped and everybody pointed and laughed at me and said, ha ha ha, she's on her period, tee hee hee. And I felt very miserable. And I, when I watched that part with the pregnant girl getting pointed out on the staircase, I was on a staircase when it happened. Trust me when I say that that scene was triggering, but it was also comforting. And the reason why it was comforting to me was because I was like, I've fucking been there. Others that, have too. That's why it was comforting for me. It was comforting in a very dark and perverse way. But it, like when Omar gets thrown out into the snow, which you guys know has happened to me, like it, it's comforting. That's why I found it comforting, but not in the, not in necessarily a, a way that made me want to feel good about myself. It was comforting, like a dark, depressing song about suicide or something where you're like, I, I, somebody else in this yeah. world feels the way that I do. Yeah. You know what I'm saying so it was, it was comforting that somebody else had been there. And that's kind of like why my favorite movie, like my favorite movie, just, just real quick is uh, the science of sleep. Now that's not, it's not a great movie by any stretch, but it's a good movie, but it's my favorite because of how sincere it is and the way it's acted and written and directed. And that, you know, that the people are doing it sincerely because they've been there. And I find that relieving that they all, I, that, so, that these feelings, which I thought were unique to me are shared by other people and having that kind of connection and ability to relate to somebody else and connect with someone else. Why the fuck are you laughing at me? No, no, I'm not. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at the best comment we've ever received in this podcast, which is to say, after Shara's comment and after Jonah's, uh, I hope the next person doesn't say, "Hey, I locked up a kid." That was comforting. Oh yeah. So yeah. <laughs> no, because I just feel like what that um, the it's the ability, like David, it's the ability to form a human connection with someone yeah. else. Yeah. That, yeah. That, through movies that, that that's why I found it comforting, but not in the comforting, like, Oh, I've been there. I've done drugs. Drugs are fun. These take me back to my good old days. I, I, I actually didn't necessarily have fun doing drugs. I'm not like trying to be like, yeah, everybody go do drugs. I'm just saying that I think it was a little over the top. And the reason why I brought up reefer madness was because they were a little over the top on what marijuana does to you. So I, I felt like there was some, Whoa, drugs! Yeah. That that just seemed a little ridiculous. That's, that's but I'm not saying it was great. Everybody do LSD right now. <laughs> no, that's why I hate movies with like sex and amorousness because I feel like everybody. I'm the only person in the theater who's going. What? What is this? What is this? And everyone else is going. Oh yeah, sex is what I'm doing. I'm gonna have it right when I get home. This takes me back because I have sex every day, thirty times a day, just like everybody. That's what everybody does. Woo! Sex. That's it's a very, it's a very short refractory period. If it's thirty times, I just want to point that out. Yes. No, but 
No, I'm just saying that, like, so when I feel like I'm the only person in the room when I see movies with, like, sex and stuff like that. So I just, that's, and that, so with drugs, you but kind of did portray Didn't like, you feel like, like this was yeah. relatable then to you? Because it did not make sex uh, seem that's great. That's why I was okay with it. I'm okay with movies where it doesn't work out or where the sex thing is terrible. Like, that's, I, I'm okay with movies like that. I like movies where they break up at the end. Those are my kinds of romance movies. No, I'm not joking. Like, you're laughing, but I'm, I'm okay when... I just immediately went to 500 Days of Summer in my head. Yeah, I'm like, okay oh, Jonah's 10 out of 10. Yeah, I'm okay <laughs> with that movie. As long as they are miserable at the end, then I'm happy. And that's that's... I'm realizing that hell may actually be a dance party with all of you together, like all of us in the room trying to dance together. This may FYI, be hell. FYI, I was a dancer. Uh, I could have pulled off that, uh, but I, I did more of the group dancing that looks like what K-pop does nowadays, I think is is probably the best way to explain my well, the dance that the, I used to do. What about the human centipede dance that they did? No. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yes, all I know how to do is uh, twerk wildly. So I, I don't know how much use I would be. I did not expect- Pixar, it didn't happen. Let's see you do it now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did not expect this movie to, uh, to be so um, divisive. Uh, what a, I mean, that is a Gaspar Noe film. I, I feel like we maybe should take a step back and at some point maybe do Irreversible or, or, in, or Into the Void or other Gaspar films just because we, this is the most disagreed we've ever been in a film, which is cool. Like that's really it. cool. I love. Yeah, it. most m most of the time, uh, most of the time, I think all of us on like right now on this panel are usually on the same page. I'm gonna be really interested to see how we score this movie. Um, so I just thought I'd throw that out there. So let's take a big step back. Big step back and see if anyone else has any like distinct lines of reasoning about this film that they want to throw out there that we haven't talked about. Just something totally different. Can we I'll talk about the there. filmmaking a little bit? Fuck yeah. I, Fuck I, yeah. I actually have some positive things and I know Jim does too. I have some positive things to say about the filmmaking. Um, I There were a lot of things about this film that bothered me as far as storyline, but um, I love the idea of using dancers to portray uh this this uh story uh they are able to convey other kinds of messages through their movement the lighting and the colors were also conveying a message but my favorite fucking thing is the long shots holy shit upside down sometimes long shots going for long periods of time it adds to the realness of the situation when you have everybody interacting with a camera just going all at one point it makes it feel like it's really happening right in front of you. It's very, very well put together uh, cinematography. And um, I, I, when I, I forgot what the name of the girl is, the one that ends up with the lesbian at the end, Sell uh, Sell something. Uh, Sophia Battelle is the actress. Uh, Selva is the character. Selva, thank you. When uh, Selva was in the room by herself, it's a dance, okay? That is interpretive dance. That is not, uh, acting per se it's it's a dance uh when she's putting her hands into her tights when she's going into the splits and and going against the wall when she gets up and sees the trees on the wall and then is like all of a sudden everything's okay that's no, an interpretive actually, beautiful no. dance that is something that happens in your mind 
when you are doing drugs. Sometimes your own reflection will scare you. Sometimes other things will make it feel like everything's okay. It's an interpretive dance. The long shots made it realistic along with that. And you felt like you were actually at the party watching these people lose their fucking minds. Uh, I, I loved that aspect of the artistry behind it. So, um, Well, I do want to say that I did read one interpretation that when she stands against the wall, what she's seeing is there's a we're not seeing what she's seeing because she's blocking the painting. So there's a, something on the wall that we have to interpret what i mean we see it it's a giant wall of trees and we we've, we've seen these kinds of backdrops in many uh scenes in many movies I, people use these uh like bamboo forests or tree forests like it's it's a, a wallpaper you can buy it on amazon i've actually looked into these by the way i don't know why i'm interested in uh these weird movie backdrops to be in my actual home but it's things i've considered purchasing uh and i've seen that exact backdrop that you can purchase it's just trees um, but okay. I will say this as a person who has been inebriated on these types of, uh, drugs, um, the experience is sometimes your own reflection can make you go, oh. <laughs> and sometimes a picture on the wall can make you go, oh, everything's okay. Like one of the things that happened to me, um, there was wood grains in a cupboard and it caused a dragon from the wood grains to come out three-dimensional try to bite my face off those are the kinds of hallucinations that can occur when you are on lsd um so yeah i mean sure there's probably something that happened within her mind when she was looking at the tree bark but whatever it was you could tell that she went from ah, i'm horrified to ah, peace <laughs> like like whatever it was it was hot as shit so speaking, I don't know speaking of the, the just the film there was two scenes in particular that i found very arresting um in terms of uh, just like I can never say this word cinema, cinematographically, camera camera usage that that I thought were very um, cool, and I don't know why they were so iconic for me. But one was, and I feel like Gaspar Noe like had these. I mean, these shots were so well done. I'm about to mention. I felt like that he was like, we're gonna have to like work these in. Like he had the idea before me the movie. One was this very high definition shot, the top down view of the, uh, the sangria, the cup that's in, you can see in the trailer. I thought that was just really just arresting, but the one that really gets me, and this is why I don't know why, maybe you guys can shine some light onto this is during the, uh, the second dance scene when everybody is thrusting on the floor, the top down view of the turntable and the slow hand of like the record moving the needle that was very it felt like something i don't know what it reminds me maybe it was from like a video game or something it was a little bit it was just very sinister in a way that i can't put my finger on so that's why i thought that the dj was the guy who was responsible for maybe the party because like he, i thought that's what i went in i went in expecting the dj to be the guy who spiked the lsd that that was that was one of the lines of demarcation where they entered from heaven to hell like they went from being communal, right? So uh, Jonah, think of the dance sequence at the beginning where they're all together, everything's choreographed perfectly. By the way, we haven't really even talked about that, how fucking cinematically expressive and just gorgeous that was, at least to me. Um, it was a very queer dance. I've, I've read a lot of um, like reviews about how like how little attention that gets. That, that was that men, women, ever. it's very hard to distinguish the two in different scenes. 
Uh, but then that scene that you're talking about where it's like the little flip of the DJ switch is everything becomes a little more individualistic, a little more graphic. Uh, one of the dudes is kind of like very quickly moving his arms. It becomes more violent, more shaky. It's one of the lines of demarcation into uh, from the collective into the individual. That That's the way I took it. Um. Like it's 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 the descent, as it were. It's right. the, it's it's part of the descent, of the film into hell. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think that's mm -hmm. as I think that's really what the point was of that. Yeah, well, I just want to say though that I felt that the trailer was misleading. We talked earlier about how I don't really think this was a dance movie. It was a movie that had dances in it, but it wasn't. I expected the whole thing to be like uh, Moulin Rouge or something. Mr. Hart yeah, version. yeah, yeah, like step up to Gehenna or something. Yeah, like yeah, step right. Up to Satan or something. Yeah, yeah I guess. so it's not a dance movie. I thought it was going to end in an orgy, and I was disappointed because it didn't. You know and what? That is the only reason it's not getting a ten out of ten for me. If it would have ended in an orgy, Shayra, this would have been. A perfect I have time. been in these situations where it's ended in an orgy. That would have been fuck. I would have been like, ah, you you guys have seen my life. Uh, but no, it's it's it was just like brother and sister having sex randomly by themselves another person fucking over here it was so sporadic i was like that's not an orgy i was expecting every like straight guy to be sucking dick i oh. was expecting like <laughs> complete chaos to <laughs> ensue and it was like meh it was but, the but worst porno i've ever seen i don't know Sharon, because <laughs> if it ended in an orgy i thought you would have said i've been in tons of orgies and orgies aren't like that it's it's <laughs> entirely possible it's entirely possible because I've been in three and that therefore makes me an expert. <laughs> uh, Gaspar Noe, if you're watching this, you clearly don't know what the fuck you did in this movie. Oh, wait, Jim, so. what are you going to say? Oh, I thought that was... I thought that was a hilarious line. I've been in orgies and they didn't end like that. <laughs> I mean, I used to be the movie, but, uh, you know, Credit where credit's due. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, another comment I had is that in Christopher Nolan's early movies, uh, basically everything before um, Batman Begins, Memento, Following, Insomnia, um, he <clears throat> he tries to put you in the character's headspace. He does it through editing and the way it's shot. That were like. In Memento, you feel like you have amnesia. You don't know what just happened. And he does that by telling the story backwards so that the scene that precedes the scene you just saw hasn't happened yet. So you don't know how they get there. And in Insomnia, he uses light to to, to you know to, to disorient the audience. And I felt like Gaspar Noe kind of did a very good job of disorienting the audience with lights and sounds to give you the feeling. I mean, I genuinely felt like if you've ever eaten like bad seafood and you have like the stomach ache and you're overheating and you're sweating and you're like rubbing the back of your neck and the bright lights everything is just hot and just tight and sick sickly feeling the way that it was i really felt like not that i was high but that i could understand what the effects would be like when he says i can feel something kicking in like i don't feel very good right now i don't know what being high in on lsd is like but certainly the lighting and the the claustrophobia of the film and the red lights and 
But that's the power of the film. You're kidding it, right? You've never done those things to which the characters in the film have purported to do, but you got it. You understood it. You felt it. That is why the film is fantastic. I also have never done any of those things. But when I watch, okay, sort of never done any of those things. But when I watch those characters devolve in the way they have, I feel like I have. I'm there with them. I don't need to see Gaspar Noe give me CGI of, you know, fucking a forest backdrop moving around and coming at me. I don't need that. I can see, um, you know, Sophia Butella having her instance where she spreads her legs and tries to fuck the trees and then moves back and says no. And Or when she sticks her hand down her tights and she's massaging her And she can't move. And she can't move afterwards. And she tries to get out and she can't move. It's like the bad seafood example. I mean, I'm not joking. Like, I've just been like, I just knowing, just like soothing yourself by touching yourself. Not exactly. I don't mean mean touching yourself. I mean touching yourself. No, it's not sexual. I totally get you. And And then having a different trip where you try to move your hands and they're trapped because you put them you know, down your pants and you're like, I can't move. Like right. this was this was cinematically a very different thing than maybe the radically divergent social, political, sort of overall allegorical feel of this movie. I feel like here's where I feel like we're all we're all getting, right? We're all getting very, very, very different vibes with this film. But I think we all get the cinematic individualistic sort of capabilities of Gaspar Noé and how this was a um, somewhat novel, unique, and very powerful film cinematically. I think we just diverge very heavily on what we're pulling from this movie, which is kind of cool. I I, I say that again, that's really fucking cool. Like we usually are in agreement most of the time, usually within a few points of a movie. I feel like this proves we're not an echo chamber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, totally. Like I'm actually like that. I dig that. I dig the idea that this we're that divergent. Like I I, want to wrap up and give our final thoughts and kind of see how divergent we are. Shara, if you give this anything above an eight, I'm going to be pissed because the way you've been talking, it better not be above an eight. Just going to throw that out there. But um, yeah, I mean, so let's, I know there's so much we could say. I know Jim probably has more to say, Ben has more. I'm sorry if like we've all sort of been talking over each other. There's, this is a Gaspar Noé film. How, we can't do Irreversible. We can't do (coughs) Into the Void. We can't do any of these because we would just do a seven hour podcast. Um, So let's, let's try as best as we can to wrap this up. It's already been two hours, you guys. I mean, Jesus Christ. Let's wrap this up as best as we can and give our sort of final thoughts. I want an end because I'm going to give this one a higher score than all of you. And uh, I sort of selected this movie. So um, let's start with Jim and Ben, since we we haven't been giving them too much of the mic. Let's start with you guys. If there's any other rabbit holes you guys want to go down as part of your uh, final thoughts, go for it. Take as much time as you want. Um, And then let's sort of wrap up. I'll let Ben go first um, because uh, I've I've interjected a couple times, so we haven't heard too much from you, Ben. So what? Let's let's give you uh, some of the lion's share of the time, and then I'll uh, give my final thoughts, and maybe then Shara, we'll we'll put the two uh, negative reviews back to back, and then I'll jump. be a cherry on top of your Sunday. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll drink to that. <laughs> All right, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
I don't know. Like, I don't necessarily think there's any particular reason I haven't been trying to jump in too much. Maybe I'm just kind of enjoying the trip. I don't know. It's good to just like uh, watch you guys bounce randomly off of each other and conflict and contrast and just sort of enjoy the chaos from a distance. Um, enjoy the trip. Was that an intentional pun? <laughs> yes. We're, we're, we're all twerking for Ben <laughs> right now is what we're doing. Ben is the psyche of the group. That's right. I'm just enjoying it. Um. Yeah, I think you guys are all wrong in your interpretations of the movie, honestly. Um, I mean, like, I hear a lot of uh, negativity going on and saying, okay, well, you know, yes, this is about the masks coming off. And for that reason, maybe it's cathartic and maybe it's simplistic. And on the other side, there's like, yes, the masks are coming off. And and that's that's deeply terrifying for me because of all the experiences that I've had in my life and how how that kind of relates to me. And that's all being tied back into this interpretation of what's good and what's bad and what's heaven and what's hell. Yeah, no, I think all, all that is kind of a kind of bullshit. Um, so maybe maybe to to the end that we could kind of say that yes, everyone has different interpretations of this movie. Um, I think that's that's a really good indication of of good art um, because it's not necessarily supposed to put forward its own perspective on you. Like it can take on on a life of its own. And each individual person can sort of interpret that and take away something different from that. And so that's one reason why I would mark this film quite highly, because I don't necessarily think it's supposed to have this clear narrative that tells you what to think. Um, it's a piece of art that allows you to take your own interpretation from it. So for that reason alone, this is an amazing piece of film. Um, that being said, to, to step back again a little bit further and going back into the morality thing, um, I don't think it has any inherent sort of uh, good or evil overtones. Uh, we could potentially talk about a descent, but I don't think it's necessarily a descent from the goodness into the badness. I do think it is a descent from order into chaos. And the reason that I really appreciate that as well is because what we begin to see is, yes, there's a little bit of a veil slipping off of here. There's a little bit of a, a layer coming off where we kind of like lose the superego and we dive into the id and we see those purified, distilled base instinct of each individual sort of coming together in this vortex and colliding and interacting. And that produces a result. Um, I think the overwhelming tone here is one of confusion. And I think that is in and of itself quite analogous to uh, to what life really is when we're being honest with ourselves. Um, I know that all of us are out here kind of like doing the best that we can. And like, we all have our own games that we play in society, but at the end of the day, it is all sort of a game like that, that mask that we have is kind of like this character that we take on whenever we go out into the world. And that's sort of how we play within the larger social context of our, our social order. Um, but what this sort of reminds me is to ask the question, uh, why? Why is that important? Why do we need to do that? Um, and sort of, again, like going back into uh, my earlier mention of the Seventh Seal and of Antichrist, um, I think it's it's along the same lines where we kind of see this sort of reminder of saying, you know, hey, let's shake off the cobwebs really quick and just show you what really underlies all of these games that you play underneath of all, all the, the facade and all the superficiality. When you really get down to it, all of it really just does come back down to chaos. And so going back into a little bit too, like I want to talk about Psyche here or Psyche or whatever her name is. Um, again, like I really think the perspective that we took earlier about her just sort of introducing this element into the situation to see what happens, I think is, is the perfect way to look at this because 
throughout the entire beginning of the movie, she she seems like a completely disinterested sort of bored individual. Yes, she is engaging in the dance. <clears throat> that might just be her one way of kind of like bringing something into her life that she that makes her feel. But she's bored with the relationship that we have. She doesn't seem to be particularly interested in anything that's going on around her. And I think she's quite aware of the the sort of emptiness and the nihilism of of existence. And that's kind of like why she might potentially be seeking out psychiatric help, why she's taking these drugs and what that might supposed to be doing for her is like sort of um, sort of helping her cope with that. But it might just also be the case that she is so utterly bored with with the game that everyone is kind of playing that she just wants to shake that loose and show everyone and lift the veil for everyone else and show them what really lies beneath that. And I don't necessarily, again, think that's a good thing or an evil thing. It just, what is, it's just, it's just simply what is. And that's sort of like what speaks to that core horror that I have and that fear that I have. Um, because whenever I watch a film like this, it shakes those cobwebs loose for me too. You know, yes, I go through my everyday uh, motions and, you know, I go to my job and like, I talk to the people I enjoy talking to and I laugh at memes and I have a drink and I'll go to this place and that place and sort of do these things. And then I'll see something like this and I get to ask myself for a couple hours, why, why, why am I playing those games? Um, anyway, yeah, I think it's a fantastic film. I think it stands on its own as a, a really interesting visual piece of art. And I, I love the dance. I, I just, I really like that most of this was portrayed through interpretive dance. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I'm just going to have to give this a 4.5 out of five. Fuck yes, that made me so happy. Continue. Sorry. Okay, uh, so uh, I'll go next now. Um, all right, so from a sort of consumer reports point of view as a film critic, um, my, my recommendation to people who have not seen this film is to simply watch the first 10 minutes of it on YouTube. There's, a, uh, there's the initial dance sequence of the first uh, 10 minutes of the film, and I think that if that initial dance sequence works for you, then the rest of the film will work for you. I think that first 10 minutes really sets the tone for what this film is, what it's trying to do, what it's trying to accomplish. And so if all of those things work, then the rest of the film is going to, to work as well. I think, uh, you know, we note that the three positive reviews or seemingly positive reviews of this film all mention the dance at some point in our conversation. So I think that's a good sort of microcosm. Um, the dance didn't work for me. It, it seemed like a lot of seizure dancing and um, walking. And it didn't particularly, it, it was a lot of hand waving and all of that. And, and, and that didn't particularly work for me. And so as the rest of the film went on, it didn't work for me as well. Um, now, I want to address some of these sort of structural issues that we talked about in the meat of the discussion, um, now that I have the chance to just sort of monologue for a little bit. Um, there are two general, and this is, this is way high up um, in terms of structuring stories and structuring films, two general structures are single plot films and multi-plot films. And of course, single plot films can sort of have multiple character uh, conflicts in them. It doesn't all necessarily have to be one one particular plot, but multiplot films think about Robert Altman's shortcuts. We talked about in the chat, somebody uh, referenced Robert Altman's Three Women. Shortcuts is kind of a, uh, 
it, it's it's a different film, but it's like the ultimate Watt Robert Altman film. Multiple characters, each with a singular or maybe even one or two objectives that they are pursuing over the course of uh, vignetted uh, segments over the course of this long, long film. Um, and all of those stories relate to a central theme. At some points they interconnect, and some points they diverge, but they're all interwoven into a particular theme. Um, those characters don't necessarily need to have the type of complexity that a single plot film would have. So when Noah and I were going back and forth about the complexity of the characters, um, he was mentioning how each of the characters have a singular objective that they are pursuing and that that worked for him. And I'm saying that that didn't work for me because all of the characters um, have very similar journeys and all of the characters um, are are pretty similar in turn. There's, there's not much variation as we would see in something like Shortcuts. So in comparing and contrasting uh, a multiplot film like uh, Climax and a multiplot film like uh, Shortcuts where Climax falls short is it doesn't have enough variation, at least for my taste, um, in terms of the character objectives. And it doesn't work as a single plot film because uh, the characters don't have some sufficient depth to uh, propel the to to keep our attention and propel the action along. Um, so that that's why structurally for me this film didn't work. Um, we talked about some of the thematic issues and some of the other. Um, uh, we we talked about a lot of the other the other things about this movie, which I, I sort of made my my point clear about that um, during the the meat of that discussion. But I did want to sort of return to, and at a structural level, uh, where this film falls short for me is uh, you know the 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 variation in the character objectives in the variation of the characters themselves. Um, <clears throat> As I said before, exterminating exterminating angel did the same thematic thing uh, better in my view. So uh, I at the end of the oh I also did want to mention the technicalities. I think some of the cinematography in the one shots are absolutely incredible. I think the acting is is really well done and committed on all of these actors' parts. Um, it takes a lot to go to some of the places that these actors do, and uh, I certainly respect that craft. And I certainly respect uh, the technical achievement that that Noah was able to do with color, sound, and cinematography. Um, so on a technical level, that raises the film to a two stars out of five for me. Uh, go ahead, Shira. I know Noah's freaking out right now because he just heard that. But guess what? Two out of 10 for me. Um, <laughs> so, um, Here's the thing. It is one of the most beautifully cinemagraphed things I've seen in a while. I will give it that. But it could have easily been a five-minute music video that would have been phenomenal to me. Uh, it could have been a 30-minute short film and been fine if they wanted to elaborate on it. Uh, if it would have been Michael Jackson's thriller uh, and, and been a 13-minute like dance but uh, you know, storyline put into it, fine. But it was so stretched 
so stretched and unnecessary. Um, and there were amazing parts to it. I could have edited a lot of it out. Oh, fuck ton of it out honestly even the beginning with them in the snow it's like you're you're trying to tell me this is a different movie than it is i don't need to see some girl in the snow crying okay like this is a completely different film it honestly i would have liked this as a music video or a short or like a you know a a thriller length music video if you know what i mean um anyway love the long shots love the lighting the characters were a bit vapid but i think that's going to happen because it was a lot of improvisation right and and there's something beautiful about the improvisation there i'm not shitting on improvisation like i really hope that that's not something you guys are taking away from this i think that that's awesome but if we're talking from a film you know a, a, what a film is uh there needs to be a lot more layers to a character there just needs to be. And it's not there. It's not there. I'm sorry. If we wanted to see all of this group as an entity and said that that was the layers, maybe. But even then, there's still a lot of vapid parts to it. If I was, and I'm not even shitting on Teenager Shayra. If I was Teenager Shayra, I, I would have thought this is the most amazing film I ever saw. I'm not shitting on Teenagers or Teenager Shayra. But uh, it probably would have been a lot more woo. Um, but I've seen a lot better films now that have put forth this kind of idea way better. So I think that's kind of my problem. And that's not even like an anger towards the, the virgin Shayra, right? <laughs> the, the film virgin Shayra. Um, because there are, there are a lot of films I watched when I was younger that I, you know, I and still, I would never take away that experience. Um, Fear and Loathing, for instance, I was like, Oh my God, I'm tripping out from watching this film. Now I go back and watch it and I'm like, meh, <laughs> like, it's all right. Um, but God, I, I don't know how to put this in a way that that will solidify the, it's, it's a not great film. Um, it would have been great as a performance art piece. It is not great as a film. That is my final, <laughs> saying on it and uh sorry no it's okay it's okay i'm just not gonna cry i'm gonna cry <sighs> okay hi my turn okay so <clears throat> before i give my review i want to say that i, I saw this at, at, at sort of a hipster indie art theater and so they they played you know music videos before the movie started and one of them was supernature by and i'm going to probably mispronounce the name sharon or sharone which is the actual song that the um opening dance music is put to but that's a real song from the 70s and i'm not going to read you all the lyrics because it's kind of long but there are two verses i want to read um they were and this, and once I read the lyrics and I heard the song, I was like, "God damn!" Like it gives that the dance sequence. If you don't know the song, it gives the dance sequence a whole new um, uh, context. They were angry with the man because he changed their way of life, and and they take their sweet revenge as they trample through the night for a hundred miles or more. You can hear the people cry, but there's nothing you can do. You. Uh, 
I'm sorry, but there's nothing you can do. Even God is on their side. And then later he says, better, better watch out. There's no way to stop it now. You can't escape. It's too late. Look what you've done. There's no place you can run. The monster's made. We must pay. I mean, it is an incredibly sinister and, and nasty song. And it's kind of like, uh, it was a very, very, uh, you know, it changes the, the dance scene completely for me. It changed, completely changed the kind. I saw, I thought the song, the scene was cool. And I'm like, now it's a lot more evil. And with that said, I feel like moving beyond the drug, you know, the catalyst for the abuse. It was one of them. And this is how I've described it to everyone I've, I've, I've talked about it with, um, it's the mo one of the most mean spirited and uh, what's the term I used? Um, sorry. It's one of the most cruel and mean spirited films I've seen. It's um, what what people would do at their most um, left to their own devices with impunity. Just being like, uh, if you could if you could do anything to anybody and get away with it, what would you do? And uh, you know, there's no consequences. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like scruples the movie in that way. So um, that's why the movie affected me. But it was very specific things that got to me, uh, not the the con the the, the, uh, the idea of people doing their own thing, but what they did specifically, and how it relates to my own experiences. So for that, um, I would. I always give the movie two ratings, like the, the, the fearness level and then just as a general movie. And I think that it looked great. It sounded great. The dance scenes were spectacular. I think the fact that it was improvised and they did such a good job, they, they felt like they were professional actors uh, who did a very good job. So I would, as, as a fear factor, I would give the movie eight or nine out of 10. And just as a movie on its own, I would probably give it a, a seven out of 10. Um, I find the movie is not accessible. I wouldn't recommend it to everyone. It takes a certain kind of mindset to watch. You have to be in the mood to watch it. It doesn't have a lot of rewatchability for me, unfortunately. And the mark of a good movie is when it can come to you over and over again and get new things out of it. I feel like after three watchings, I'd be done, and I'm not in a hurry to see the movie um, again. It, it it wasn't mysterious like a psychological thriller. It was just cruel, um, so that's why I'm not in a hurry to see it again. So, but I will give it a high marks for being one of the few movies I can put on my list of movies that really, really, really stayed with me in, in not a good way. And uh, that's all I have to say about that. Thank you. All right, so before I uh, finish, I just want to say that all of my co-hosts are clearly on LSD. Clearly, clearly. They drank the sangria tonight, folks. No, uh, I. this has been one of the coolest experiences doing this movie with my co-hosts because we're so divergent on our scores. And I feel like that is a nod to Jasper Noe, and I feel like maybe we should do Irreversible or some other film that he's done um, just to kind of see where we all end up. But that's, I, I get maybe a different conversation. Um, Look, man, this movie is exhausting for me. I was exhausted when I watched this. Um, I felt like egos were clashing through dance and through movement. And next week we're doing Suspiria, doing the remake, uh, 1978 versus 2018.
bro, like, I don't know how I am going to even score that after watching that, uh, watching Climax this week. I mean, this was a cinematic sensory experience that was hard for me to let go of. I've seen it like Jonah, I've seen it three times and I'm gonna keep watching it, man. Like this movie messed me up. And when I think about why it messed me up, um, it, it's, <laughs> it, it is complex to me. It's like they, these performers can't leave their setting and they're forced to perform their um, distinct versions of their own art, which are hor horrifying. Like each person's fears their own art are, are, are horrifying. I mean, this is a cinematic collapse of boundaries through the expression of a raw energy through dancing, um, be it violent, be it sexual, be it repressive with siblings. This is a movie that hit me and it's the movies that are the, mo that have the most simplistic thing to say but are done in a way that are novel and unique that are the most horrifying. I think back to It Follows, which is a simple film about sex and death, which are very simple things, very similar things to this movie that are done through very, um, I mean, not very convoluted or complex apparatus. You know, um, this movie had cinematic quality in the fact that it was filmed in a very particular way that I enjoyed. I didn't have any CGI. I didn't get to see any trees moving around and flipping out. Yet I got to watch a woman freak out by looking at them. And I felt more in line with whatever she was seeing than I probably would have if I would have been given that same hallucination. Um, that's not often for me. Um, this movie blew me away. I'm giving this movie overall a nine and a half out of ten. I mean, this is, it follows to me. This is up there with, fuck, man, I'm, I feel weird even scoring it this high. I just, I really thought about this and I've watched it quite a few times and it fucked me up. It fucked me up. This is my favorite film of 2019. Uh, I think in the UK, just to be fair, it came out in 2018. In the US, it came out this year. Um, this movie messed me up. It messed me up existentially, cinematically. It was so novel that I didn't know where to find my own referent. Um, I, I This is the best film of the year to me. I, I'm sorry, it just totally is. And, and you know what? Um, I say that hearing all of my co-hosts' um, problems with it, their issues with it, the things they liked about it, um, a lot of these things were fair. It gives me a lot to kind of chew on, like a, a lot to consider. But um, even after hearing all of those things, like I watched this film last night. I, I watched uh, a few horror films yesterday, um, some new stuff that didn't really sit with me very well, some recent stuff. And then I watched Climax again and it was just, a, literally I was, uh, I, I was Jasmine. Like Aladdin was like, here, get on this carpet ride. Let's go to a whole new world. Like that's what I felt like watching Climax. Um, that's rare for me. I've seen a lot of horror movies that's rare for me. So, uh, we may have to revisit some Gaspar Noe. This is uh, a very controversial filmmaker, very eccentric filmmaker. And I feel like his, um, the things he's done for cinema may really be, may really show the divergence of the, of this podcast and the co-host and the things that scare them, the things that seem simplistic versus complex. There's a whole host of things that are worth considering maybe with this uh, director that I think 
we should pursue. So I'm going to keep this director on our on our notes as someone to keep an eye on, um, just if for any other reason that we have just a, a radically divergent. Sense you just of want us to argue. <laughs> I do. I do. Oh my god! I'm so happy that we argued. Like. Like, okay, guys, like, honestly, usually we, we have a, like, the biggest divergence in this podcast has been, no offense, Jonah, it's been Jonah's the lobster. I shouldn't say Jonah's the lobster. You didn't make the film, Jonah. But you did. Not with that attitude. Yeah, not with that. Yeah, exactly. Not with that attitude. But this movie seemed to be kind of up there in the sense that we took very different things from it. And I think we saw the merit of it, the value of it, the potency of it in very different ways. I like that. I think that that's... Um, that's informative. I, this, like, like my 30-second version is this movie scared me because it showed what's underneath all of us, but we know what's underneath all of us. We've done enough horror films to sort of know that we're all, like, innately violent, innately sexually repressed, innately <laughs> maybe bad things. I, I think maybe we'd even quibble with that. But for the most part, I think we know that the idea is that underneath the surface, we're not who we say we are. I mean, that's not really what did it for me in this movie. It was how that was expressed through no, no real dialogue, but through the movement of bodies, you know, through the movement of the camera, um, light and sound. Um, that was unique to me. And I was mesmerized by this movie, legitimately mesmerized. So this is a nine and a half out of 10 for me. I, I can't even really tell you what would have made it a 10. I don't know. I, I don't know what would have made it a 10. Maybe ending in an orgy, like a Shayra-esque ending. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what would have made this a 10 out of a 10 for it me. It would have been a 10 out of 10 if it had an orgy. I guarantee right now that you would have given it a 10 out of 10 if it ended in an orgy. I mean, there were enough very sexy Parisians to possibly make this a 10 out of a 10. That is true. That is true. I was disappointed mm -hmm. that people that were on the cusp of sexuality didn't really fully go yeah. into that yeah. realm. And yeah. the only controversial thing was that a brother and sister fucked, which we predicted when we heard them having their interview. I was sure. like, they're gonna fuck. They're gonna fuck. <laughs> no, yes. that, that was my thing, though. That I, I like that it didn't work out. I'm telling you, you laugh but I'm not laughing. I like that it didn't work out. That's what, that's what I would have, like, it's I was- It's not a workout. It doesn't mean it's great. Like we said, it's all rape, right? Because they're all fucked up. If yeah. it was an orgy, it would have been a giant rape puddle, okay? That's, it would have been a giant rape puddle. Yeah, and if there's anything I'm against in life, it's, it's rape puddles. Okay, so I don't know how to segue out of this. Uh, so uh, and, our, our movie next week is rape puddles. Uh, yeah, our movie next week is courage uh, for coming out against rape puddles. Yeah, it's like what did Douglas Adams say about rape puddles? That if there's a rape puddle in a parking lot, then come out against rape puddles. <laughs> yeah, look, right. look, if you're gonna be against anything, it's it's rape puddles. It's it's science. So, uh, all right. Well, join, you know, here's the odd thing, right? So uh, next week we are doing next Sunday night, um, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We're doing uh, Suspiria. We're doing a 1978 Suspiria versus the 2018 Suspiria. So we're sort of critiquing both films, comparing and contrasting both of them. A lot of dance shit going on in this podcast. Like a lot of crazy stuff to think about in a horror podcast is last few films have been about dance and about 
meaning and morality and ethics and society within the confines of art and dance, R really strange. Um, this is the only real time this has happened in this podcast. Very interesting to figure out like why, like what it is with art and with dance uh, that it has, like how are those things are connected? Still haven't figured that out to me. I, I feel like this movie offered us, to me, a somewhat simplistic interpretation of like what's underneath the surface via dance, but I think Susperi is a little different. So join us next week, uh, 6 p.m. Uh, uh, Pacific Standard Time. Uh, check us out on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll have some stuff posted before then. Uh, but yeah, this time next week, we'll, we're going to do Suspiria before and after. Um, if you have any questions, anything, any, any films that you think are relevant to the idea of dance or a LSD, uh, shoot us a, a message on our social media and uh, let us know. But uh, thank you guys for watching and we'll see you guys next week for Hello. Suspiria. Yes, yes, go ahead. Comments below. If you just put your recommendations in the comments below, I usually uh, sweep those once a week and try and put those in the in the chat in the uh, group spreadsheet. So, yeah, check us. Yeah, on the uh, on the comments or in the chat, let us know, and we'll kind of uh, we'll go from there. We're doing Suspiria, uh, both of the films, and then I think after that, we're doing our first um, viewer recommended film, which is Martyrs. I don't know why you guys selected a, such a violent film for us to review. Uh, God damn. But that ain't about twerking. I'll just put it, it's not about twerking. I will just put it that way. Uh, so uh, we'll see you guys. Uh, we'll see you guys next week for Suspiria. Thanks for watching. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, check us out on our social media. Have a good night. Peace.